Welcome to the Tale of the Two Brogdons with your hosts, Dan and Jay. Alright, welcome to Grog Talk, episode 6. Can you believe episode 6, Dan? It feels like it was just episode 5. I know, that's our running joke here. We, we, uh, I don't, we need to come up with some new jokes or people are going to start. Whatever subscribers we have will turn up. Though, just really quickly in our game, um, I mentioned we were, they were looking for doors. They were, they were looking for secret doors. And, I'm uh, an expert on doors. Well, yes, your, you know your your reputation precedes you because, you know, we as we read, uh, if they detect the door, that does not necessarily mean they know how to open the door. Mm-hmm. So I started using that in the game, and and some one of the party members said, "Oh, you've been hanging around with Dan too much." So, <laughs> so I'm not sure what that. I'm not sure who's worse, us that jibber jabber about doors, or someone's actually listening. So, so to our, that person who's listening, thank you, uh, for tolerating us for hours. So. Indeed. Once again, I'm James. I'm Dan. And so today we're going to uh, talk about combat, which is the third part of uh, the, the main core of Dungeons and Dragons. We talked about uh, exploration. We talked about it, encounters, typical non-combat encounters, and so uh, most of the rules are based on combat. So um, we're not going to do any adventuring today because this combat could take up a long time, and, and then. You know, we'll have to discuss with Dan what what Glade is going to do uh, now that she is alone in in the wilderness. Is she going to just limb limner figures, or is she going to help with others? Glad you brought this up because I have. Uh, I'm not going to. It's not a complaint. Okay. You never you never have a complaint with the DM, right? Is it, yeah. Is this the end of the show right here? Is this is yeah. This is the end of the relationship. Pixie, Pixie is a is a player character of mine. Correct. Uh, yes. Pixie, I should be able to play Pixie out. Like, we just assumed it was just Glade. Don't I get to play Pixie, try to escape, you know, wriggle out of something and, you know? Of course. Okay, so that's all. So my point is, I don't know that this relationship with Glade and Pixie is over. Because right. I think I should get a shot with Pixie. Oh, and, and also, I forgot to tell you, uh, apparently you didn't get the memo, uh, Glade's going back. Oh. Glade thought about it, but we can talk about that okay, later. Okay, good, good. Well, I think that's that's... I like the idea of, of her going back and um, trying to save, you know, she, I was actually a little traumatizing hearing her, how her m- mental state changed from being optimistic and homicidal optimistic to being cowardly and, and, and shell-shocked. So I'm glad she got her mindset it's, back. It's called the one E effect. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it doesn't take long. She was gung-ho and ready to go and then yeah. running for her life out of the forest. <laughs> It's a, it's, quick enough. It, 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 it swings. There's a lot of mood swings in one E, right? It takes a week. Right. You get over it. I'm going. That's why you shouldn't play. You need you need a week spacing in a one E game. I think mm-hmm. to to get re-energized. But alright, because yeah. So so uh, that's good. So then next week we will we will pick up the 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 party will gather. But our our the party no the party will not gather. Well. well well, Glade will be over here. It's really not a gathering. That's right. It's more like solo <laughs> adventures. The party will solo adventure. That's hilarious. But I uh, think so. Well, very good. Um, let's talk about 
combat uh, in our Word of Recall segment. So, uh, Dan, combat has most of the rules. If you look in the core books, which, of course, for those who are live, look, look, watching the live stream or watch the video, the three core books that we kind of uh, ascribe to is the Monster Manual, Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide, and uh, of the vast majority of the rules in here discuss combat and the game, how to... Um, the magic items, how to, how to fight, how to deal and adjudicate that. So... Um, you know, I'm going to just go over really quick. It, in a nutshell, the purpose of combat is after an encounter goes south, you know, once it moves out of the discussion phase or talking phase, or both parties or multiple parties um, see each other and have decided the only way this is going to be resolved is through combat, and then uh, is the basically one side, both sides decide what they're going to do. Actions are announced in, in the case of the party, they tell the dungeon master, each person says what their character is going to do. Uh, then the order of actions is determined. And this is probably one of the hardest parts of this because, you know, if you think in real combat, air quotes number one, you know, everything's happening simultaneously. And um, so the game tries to use dice and rules and the abilities of the player characters and the monsters to determine who gets to act first in, in the order of that. And then um, the actions are taken, the effects of those actions are adjudicated. So um, if Dan's character is blocking and the monster is trying to hit, dice are rolled, we determine if the monster is able to hit Dan's character, just like the goblin when he swung his club, was he able to get past um, Glade or Pixie's armor class, which is basically um, a number, a representation of their ability to not be hit. And if it's not, then, then damage is taken, and if that damage exceeds hit points, and again, hit points is kind of this amorphous, nebulous concept of the, the ability of that, cre that character or creature to fight, and that those, those actions and reactions and spells get adjudicated and uh, we keep rinsing and repeating until one side decides they don't want to fight anymore, either because they're dead or because their morale is broken and they move on. So, um, you know, as a new dungeon master, and, and, and we've talked in the past that you know, you, in your tier priority, I think you like social interaction, then exploration, then combat. Um, how do you handle combat in, in your game and what are some of the things for newer dungeon masters that they could think about before they, um, you know, what are the biggest challenges and some advice that you would give? Yeah, so I think the biggest challenges are simply, the biggest challenge is that it, it can be complicated. Uh, the more you do it, obviously, like anything, it gets easier. But that's what I stressed about the most. When I came back into the game after so long and knowing that I was going to have to DM if I wanted to start up a group, it, it was stressing about running combat. Um, and so it, it, the hardest part is just knowing all the rules. Now, now the nice thing about it is I think that the DMG does pretty much consolidate the rules of combat. They're long. Well, it's, it spans around, I think, the 70s, the seven, page 70 or so, right? And all right. on. I mean, I think it starts before that, probably. Yeah. Uh, right? It starts in, like, uh, in the 60s. Uh, it's, it's lost. That's the hardest thing is it can be complicated. Um, I, think, I think you just got to start doing it. So I think you just have to start running combat, 
if you have to look stuff up, you have to look stuff up. Uh, lean on the players sometimes to help you out uh, if you need it. But that's so that that was the hardest thing for me was was just knowing all the rules. And I still, I mean, I still don't feel like I know all the rules real well. And you know, I don't know if you know. I know we talk about playing by the book, but I think if there's some things that are not followed, oftentimes it off it is rules in combat and I, I know i'm sure we're going to talk about that yeah things like weapon speed uh are not often used by party members and the adjustment based upon the type of weapon in the ac but but so that that was the hardest thing but don't don't panic it's it's actually it's not that bad it's not that bad and mo- most of the time unusual issues aren't going to come up has been my experience there's so many rules some of them will come up every now and then but your typical combat with a goblin yeah, the, the, the rules are pretty easy. Exactly. And and if you are a new dungeon master, you should. this is where understanding the module, starting with a beginning module, and I know it's tempting a lot of folks want to start with higher level mod, monsters and, and games so that they can um, enjoy some of the features and benefits that the game has. But if you're, if you're inexperienced, start with the first level module, start with first level characters because their choices are limited and the actions that can happen are limited. Um, you know, they can attack, they can run, there's not a whole lot of additional rules. And then as the game continues, you can add on more rules as that. This is the one thing you don't want to hear as a DM, in my opinion. The player says, I attempt to grapple. Right. What's up about that? Like? Oh, you know what? I totally forgot about oh, that. Oh, well, we don't know what to... Well, don't count on me to talk about that. Yeah, well... Why writing that down? Well, Quick next to that, James. Rule. Well, that's under rules, rulings, and house rules, because weaponless combat is... We could spend two hours on that. Forget about the rest of it. So, um, and if you thought doors, you thought the doors discussion was exciting. I'm, wait till you hear about the. Wait till you have the grapple. Podcast. I really wish. I really wish you had. You know, you you have a major area of study doors. Maybe right. weaponless combat could be your minor study. <laughs> oh, that would be horrible. Because I would like. You know, that would be something. Uh, so it's got to be somebody's. Well, we need that person to. I don't know if we're gonna have Collins at some point or something. We need like a grappling expert, right. To make it for that ep- that podcast, we need to find. If you're a grappling expert, I don't mean in real life, right? That doesn't help us here. No, if you're a grappling expert, you know, and you and you're good at explain, you got to be good at explaining. Though, if right. you're a grappling expert but you're terrible at explaining, we don't need you, right? We need someone who can dumb it down. Well, what we'd like is during the call-in, if you if we had like a, a chat, which I'll turn on at some point, um, if during uh, the party gathers segment where you're actually playing, that segment you would not attack with weapons. That whole time you oh. would just you, you would have to either overbear, which is you basically try to knock someone over, grapple, grab them, or punch them. It's the only actions, and then in chat. They would tell us what to do because I have no idea. So it'd be like a wrestling match. <laughs> right. That sounds fun. Okay. Well, as you're trying to get through doors, you could then wrestle with each other. <laughs> okay. I like that. So, um, as Dan said, the in the Dungeon Master's Guide, actually, and, and in the Player's Handbook, they both talk about combat. In the Player's Handbook's at the end of the book, but in the Dungeon Master's Guide, it starts on page 61. Uh, combat encounters, uh, combat and initiative. So. Um, again, this is all in the DM's guide. You know, again, it just reminds me of when I first acquired this book. You know, in the early '80s, that it was just to me fascinating. You know, you, I think later editions probably organized the rules better, but this kind of encyclopedia type of feel that there's just random articles of information. So before this, there's discussion about waterborne combat and airborne combat and underwater combat, which 
It's like, oh, wow, that seems very advanced. And then they actually get into combat. So um, you start on page 61, and it, and it helps you transition between an encounter, which does not necessarily have to be combat, into combat. And the first thing you have to figure out in the game is, is, is are either party or multiple parties aware of each other? And if they're not, the, per, the party that knows about the other, are they going to do something? And that's called surprise. And um, surprise is, again, one of those that is not as easy as you would think it should be. Um, and basically, uh, each person or creature has a chance to be surprised, and they have a chance to surprise people. And you have to then determine, um, based on their ability to su- surprise and their, their, their chance to be surprised, to figure out how much time the party, if any, has to react before the other party does. And if I could just point out that the surprise rule in first edition mm-hmm. is deadly. Mm-hmm. Because, as we'll talk about, if a party's surprised, they're going to be surprised for a number of segments. And what's a segment? Well, a segment is six seconds. Right. But the problem in... I don't know I say problem. There's no problem. There's no problem. The rule mm-hmm. in first edition is that a party member who is not surprised can engage in an action that would ordinarily, a combat action, which ordinarily would encompass the whole round. Right. So if, if they're surprised for two segments, the non-surprised party would get two, assuming they have one attack per round, right, would get two attacks. Exactly. With the other side never even getting to respond. Exactly. And some creatures surprise more often than others. I think is our giant... Frogs, one to four, I, I think, think so. or something like Blood that. Bears, there's a few that are very, they surprise much more likely. And, and and the problem here is you then, a party member, could be surprised for four segments, correct? That's right. And the, which would mean that the other creature would get Well, I think four, for three segments, right? Because, uh, well... But if you're not surprised, the other side's not, not surprised at all. That's right. You're surprised. So, so if the bugbear's not surprised, and the other part, I think they could be surprised... Up to four segments. That's four right. segments. And that's four attacks. So you could die. So you have a bad surprise roll... It could be the end of you, particularly when you're low level. Exactly. That could be it. So surprise is particularly uh, deadly. Um, now, my understanding is that surprise can be adjusted. So in other words, it doesn't always have to be according to the jam. Okay, mm-hmm. each one of you, this side and that side, both, we're going to roll for surprise. That there's some situations where because of noise, so let's say the party is clanking down the hall because of course yeah. they're dragging that chest full of a thousand copper pieces right. or they bashed they weren't able to open the doors they're on over the doors exactly right so and this is where you know i think we talked about last time or whatever time you know the famous doors episode yeah uh where you if you try to open the door you can try again yeah try 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 it's not like what i think the bending bars lifting gates you get right. one shot try 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 again and uh if you fail, so who cares? Well, you care because you're making noise, which means that now when you open that door, you might be surprised and the other side. You know, I think in that situation, the DM would be completely justified in saying, I'm not at all rolling for surprise for the other side. As a matter of fact, they're going to be standing on either side of the door. Only you party roll for surprise. And vice versa. The party observes the goblins in the case of the adventure. The goblins are sitting eating um, Glade and Pixie. 
they're, saw them. Oh, okay. Could, I thought that was period. They're eating Galadian pixies. Because like, that was, ha- was happened close. to pixies. Pixies been eaten. Well, we, well, that would be a short role playing. I want to play out. I want to play out. Girl, pixies. that sounds like a lot of. I know you do. That sounds like a lot of fun. I want to play out pixies thing. Okay, he wakes up to realize he's being cooked alive yes. on the brazier. That sounds like okay. Uh, what would you do now? Right. Uh, I'll die. It's, okay. It's 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 a mini module. <laughs> it's very short. How much? We should publish that. That's right. You, you, you wake here's, up. Here's your character let me take it back you wake up you're, and it's about one of these ones where like the excitement is escaping right. it's no, no you're just just dying you're just dying welcome to first edition right. if this bothers you you're not ready right did you not like that module okay go take the books back wherever you put them on ebay yes it's, give them ebay link yeah. sell them to us so um i think we need to just step back just a second because when we talked about uh exploration and encounters and searching um, typically, uh, the time in Dungeons and Dragons is, is is broken out into various words. Turn is a time of period for ten minutes. A round is one minute. So ten rounds equals one turn. A segment is six seconds. So ten segments equals a round. Ten rounds equal the turn. And so when you're in the dungeon, uh, time is moving actually very slow. You search a r- you search this room. It would take ten minutes. Um, you know, in the game yesterday, players always roll. Oh, I got to search well, one ten by ten for area. And it takes ten minutes. Yeah, this. So think about this room. Dan, Dan doesn't make us do that. That's right. Well, they don't say that. Okay. They, they just they. There's just general lament. Boo. Yeah, you know it's interesting. They're not playing each other off. You know, because usually like parents they'll do right. that. You know. I don't get a lot of, oh, you know, James doesn't make us do that. James lets us roll maximum hit points. Okay, that's good. That doesn't happen. I'm giving them an idea now. And first of all, the maximum hit points came because... Is that Honor Sarcana? No, Honor Sarcana. They were given that that, uh, when they came into the game. I didn't give that. that I gave them that. that And it's hard to take back. That's right. You know, when one, you know... The parents let them do it. The other one... I was trying to... No, I was adopting. I was trying to build a group. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so I'm trying to... I, I'm so thrilled anybody we showed have, up to the first have, game. We have dwarf paladins and elf ranger, uh, elf So rangers. this is what happened is I did all these things. It was like Christmas, right? They come and I'm trying to get a group together. So, yeah, max hit points? Absolutely. Level limits? What are level limits? Exactly. Can I be a door, you know, racial, you know, restrictions on class? What? Yeah. I don't know anything about this. And then I handed the group over to James. Yeah. And he's like, got it. And then I, and I became a... That's right. You're the grandparent. A tough guy. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Now, yeah, I was a grandparent, and now I'm the parent. And I'm like, yeah, okay, roll your hit points. And we had a player who last, what, one of their games was a ranger. Three hit points. Three hit points. Starting ranger, and he died, and he quit. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, you, no, it wasn't a ranger, is it? He was a ranger. Oh, he was a ranger, and he quit, yeah. Well, then we had another one. He had a thief who was, had three hit points. We've had both. We had oh, that's what it was. That's what I'm thinking of. But yeah, the ranger. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. That's what, no. The other one was just. He, is that the one who was eaten by the? No, yeah. The the, the thief had the three. Quite, yeah. But both died. of them had three hit points. Both of them died horribly. You're right. And both haven't come back since that. Hmm. Just something to think. Is that about. a pattern? It's only two. That's not statistically significant. <laughs> well, two out of ten, I would say so. But okay. okay. So the reason, so the game slow slows down from a, a time perspective when you're into combat. But some would argue it doesn't even slow down enough. So each round, a combat round, is one minute, and a bunch of things happen. And um, so we had a, a situation in our game um, yesterday where three of the party members, they, they, there was this hallway that was filled with the bodies of dead ogres and giants, and the fighters were trying to climb over. And then they saw other ogres and giants that they were going to fight. 
so the non-fighting party member is like, well, let's look for a search for a secret door on our side of the pile. Well, by the time they searched one time, the, the combat was over. It took 10 rounds of fighting. During that time, they were searching, the three that were searching, uh, two fire giants were killed, three stone giants were killed, one of the player characters were killed. So the, the, the time differences thing. So you have to be careful of it, it, whatever the actions of the party are doing may not fit in their time frame. So that's probably the lesson number one when you're dealing with things. So in surprise, the, the, the time that the... Uh, party that has surprise is limited to segments. So even though while combat, uh, you can fight as quickly as you can, certain other actions you cannot do. So for instance, even though you have four segments, you can only move your movement of four segments. You can't move four rounds of of running. if If a spell takes four segments, takes 24 seconds, even though you have four segments of surprise, it still takes all that time. You don't get to cast four spells. You're not you're not speeding up time. Right. You just get to whack somebody a lot. Right. Because the concept of combat is, and this is again in Gary Guy and in, in Dungeon Master as Gary Gygax describes this, is you know people go, what do you mean I only get one hit in one minute? That's crazy, right? You know, you're, we're fighting. Don't I get multiple hits? And the answer is yes. The idea is. Uh, you know, it's like swashbuckling. There, there's multiple parries and thrusts and everything else, but only one hit has the opportunity to affect the other player, uh, the other monster. And as you get better, you get multiple opportunities. So the idea is if, if, if I was surprised, Dan's character could hit me multiple times because I'm not parrying. I'm just standing there. So he literally can attack four times uh, during that four segments. So surprise is very deadly. Not only for that, um, you, your missile weapons go off. If uh, if you have a notched weapon, a notched arrow, you can shoot more. There's a bunch of things uh, that can happen. Your armor class is typically less if you're surprised because you don't get your dexterity bonus. You're not agile. Basically, you're flat-footed. Bad things happen. Oh, and and we should mention here because I think this is often forgotten. It is by me, which is that. Although we, you do party surprise, right? So that's right. important to mention yep. that you don't do surprise on an individual character basis. The party will roll. So let's say that the party is surprised. Well, let's do this. So you're sure. so you so glades and pixie and the goblins they are normal. So it's you gonna kill them again. I don't know. That's what you're so, do. so in this case, goblins are surprised on a one and two, and they're surprised on a one and two. Pixie and glades is we'll just say for argument's sake they're not a ranger at this point, right? Uh, and an elf. They're one and two and one and two. So if I roll, I roll the two, uh, Dan's party rolled the three. So the goblins are surprised, and uh, they are surprised in this case for how long? It would be for two segments, the number on the die. So That's right. Two segments, and I rolled a three, so my party isn't surprised at all. And this is where it's interesting because it's actually worse right. to be surprised when you roll, it's always bad to be surprised. And it's worse to be surprised with a high roll. Yeah. So a two is worse than a one on a surprise roll. Yeah, it's it's very odd how it is. And it's counterintuitive because in some parts in page 61, it talks about surprise dice difference. So in this case, three to two, it says lost segments would be one. But then other places, it says just what Dan said later. So, you know, that's one of the areas you're going to have to kind of um, adjudicate how you want to do it because in one of the examples um, where it gets complicated is when one group has less surprise or other. Yeah, and can I, you know, and I can, I know, as you know, I've, I've, I've read through this multiple times and I think there's actually a mistake in the DMG and, and I'd, I'd like... Uh, what? It's hard. 
Well, I clearly it was clearly you know somebody typing at for Gary Guy. It wasn't Guy Gax himself. Okay, okay? No, that's it not was right not. Right. It was clearly somebody working. Well, for Well, you him. mentioned there's an errata too somewhere. What, what? Does that still yet? There is an errata. It's in the Dragon Magazine. I can't remember. Do you know the? Uh, no, I don't. I don't know. know. So I'm, a, I'm have to look that up. Which, yeah, for for I think the three core books there was an errata for all three. So right? I, no, maybe it was corrected in there. Uh, so. You only do, my, the way I read the, the rules on 61 and 62, is you only do the surprise dice difference if both parties are surprised, right? So if you look right above the surprise dice difference on 61, the little chart, it says if both parties are surprised, then the effect is negated Excellent. or reduced. And that is the part you're exactly right, and I keep forgetting that part, because in, in you, you sh- the reason they have that you know, it's the sentence is kind of buried in there, and then they have this big chart. So right. you just, of course, your eyes gravitate towards the chart and not right. reading that. Right. So, and this is at least the fourth time he's told me this. So, so it wouldn't be, and so it wouldn't be, and I think this may be the only. I'm very proud of of this because I think this may be the only time that I think I knew something that that, that uh, maybe. I no? think a couple. I think there's been a few times, but this is one you were clearly correct. Well, I, I well, yeah, and I, and I read it multiple times. So my understanding, so I get a three, you get a two. Yes. You don't do a three minus two right. for a surprise of one segment. I'm not surprised. The goblins are surprised. The goblins rolled a two, so they are surprised two segments. So Glade, each of Glade and Pixie would get two actions, two, two, act, two segments, two segments, to act. which I, which would be two. I could do two attacks each, which you know that could be well. Obviously, with Pixie and Glade, right. it would be four misses. But right. if this is normal combat with a normal die, yes. a normal die rolling, a dice rolling, it, that could be the end of the goblins right there. Now, let me point out to you. So let's say you had rolled a two for the goblins, right. and I, as the party, had rolled a one. Now, we're both surprised. Right. You're surprised two segments. The party surprised one segment. Then you do the difference, which means paid and Glixie, pay, Glade and Pixie would only get one segment of surprise, which makes complete sense. Right. Now but it's I, so completely... You know, here's the problem with the dice in first edition. If you if you just have to memorize it. It's kind of like music or some of these other things. On When you roll for initiative later, the higher is better. When you roll yeah. for a surprise, it, the dice, the actual die roll itself, each one may be better or worse depending on what you roll. And, 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 and ability scores... Check low is better. So you will often in times have people getting ready to roll the die, and they'll say, "Now is high good, right. or is low good?" Now, but you can, as a dungeon master, use that to your advantage. So if you have players who kind of do this, and uh, yeah, I rolled a twenty, <laughs> or you know they're on the other side of the table, and you can't see what they're rolling, by them not actually knowing, maybe this was a mechanic that he put in. He would just say, "Roll a d 20 Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I don't know. Why, That's right. Why am I supposed That's what you to do, do yeah. I want high or low? Mm-hmm. And, or, you know, do I give a 10 and hopefully get a 50-50 shot? Um, because, you know, I, I have the characters roll percentages. And for some things, per- percentage right. for, is good for making an ability. But for reaction, uh, high, is, high is good. So... Um, that that is a challenge. If you just have to memorize these things. So go ahead. I'm sorry about that. Oh no, no, that that's fine. I, I just wanted to point it out. What I think is the error to make things confusing. Yes, that's good. If you look at the top of page 62, there's another chart. Yes. If you look at the last two, party surprised and monster surprise, notice what we see. Mm-hmm. The parties died. The second to last, the penultimate, right. is party rolls. I just wanted to show off. That's good. Thank you. Parties roll is a one. Monsters roll as a two. What should happen there? Who should be surprised? 
Party rolls a one, monster rolls and a two. Both roll, and they're both surprised on one and two? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, party A is... Oh, it, Party A is surprised on a roll of, of one or two, while party B is surprised only on a roll of... Oh! You solved it. It's been solved. I think that's the thing. But, that's what's, but, it, I didn't, but, but isn't that before that? That's after that, and the, on the bottom of the 61. Oh, wait, you're right. Is that example... Wait, is that example for... Oh, wait, you're yeah. right. Assume the party carriers come upon a monster. They have two and six. No, it hasn't been solved. That's right. Because then it's the colon. So now, look, the second... The penultimate one. Who should be surprised? Party rolls a one... Monster rolls a two, and you're right. That example below is was not for that one. It was it's both one and two. It Who should be surprised? They both should be surprised. Well, but but well, it, they are both surprised. But I think what they mean by who's surprised is meaning the difference, right? So right. if they're both surprised, I think they then convert it to only one surprise. Right. Which are one surprise more? It, they should be flipped around. Exactly. And the second one. If if you're using the the item that's above that says if they're Right. If both parties are surprised, then the effect is negated or reduced. So yes, it should be the opposite way. Right. And we know that you are surprised by the amount on your die. Right. That's, that's, so, and I've, I've posted that question in places, I think, Dragon's Foot, online. See no need forums. out there, folks, to worry about that. Send your questions to info at grogcon.com. During his door explorations, Dan will post these on Dragon's Foot or other places to get No need to do that. Just send it to Dan. Dan will get it. I'll that handle part. it. So, yeah. So, I think... That, so, you talk about... That creates confusion. Yeah. But, all right. But, so, that, that surprise. Surprise actually shouldn't be too complicated. And and so, um, the, re- the rest of it... The, the other part that is an advantage that's hard to adjudicate. And this is hard when you... Because people just want to fight. And the hard part about surprise is there's a lot of figuring things out at an individual level. Because once, yes, while the party is surprised, there are factors that, so certain uh, races and classes of characters get better chance to surprise or they're less likely to surprise. Monsters have better chance to surprise. So you then have to figure all this out. Um, there are monsters who only get surprised on a one and eight. There are monsters who yes. surprise on a seven and eight. And so uh, what I've come to is I basically... Uh, convert it to percentages because once you get past one to six it just becomes very difficult and you have to subtract an add and then you have to reconvert it back to segments which are again on the d6 um, so the, the point of it is how complicated you want to make it is is up to you you could just do it as simple as rolling the d6 each person rolls a d6 i roll you know in this case maybe lower one gets surprised for one segment or if you do surprise like i do if the party's surprised or, or or the monster's surprised after you figure out what their abilities are, they're surprised for basically uh, an equal to one round. Uh, they don't get ten attacks; they get one. They get one segment just to make it simpler. Because, as Dan said, you have to figure out how likely the party's to be surprised, how likely the monster is surprised, and then if each character or or monster, if they have a dexterity bonus or a penalty, that has to be added to their to their factor as well. And I, that's and I want to talk about that. And I, I think there's a, there was a good article, I believe, in Dragon Magazine on okay. surprise. It may have just been surprise exclamation point. I can't remember where they talks about the per- converting it with the percentages. Yeah. Are monks the monks? Is there like a yeah monks redu- get it's reduced? Percentage? It's a percentage, right? right. It's not a, so which makes well they so yeah because it's because two and six is what thirty three percent chance, and then they took that um, they took that two and six chance, which is thirty three percent, and started reducing it by level. Right. So if you're going to deal with percentage chance of surprise 
you, I think you probably really need to read that article. If you're, if you're going to play by the book, you need to read that article in Dragon Magazine to wrap your brain uh, yeah, around page, it. On page 30, the monk says, at first level experience, a monk is as likely to be surprised as any other character. 33 and a third percent, which is two, two and six. The chance goes down to 32% at second level. And it thereafter goes down two points per level. Why would he do that? So, and then it goes, so et cetera. So then you have, so this is, their chance to be surprised versus surprising. So with this, the other thing is creatures that can surprise better are at a more advantage than creatures who are less likely to be surprised. The the it's not a one to one thing. You know that so if so for instance, if you only get surprised on a one and the monster is surprised on a one to four, it doesn't mean you're one to two. It's it's actually still better it only reduces it by one, one to three. So if you still rolled a three in this case, you still would be surprised for three segments. So it's it's always better to surprise higher chance than it is to be less likely to surprise. So it's it's it can be complicated. Um, that's the rules as written. Uh, a lot of people simplify it by just using a single die or using some way to adjudicate it, saying one side surprise. Everyone's surprised, and then they go into the next phase. Can I ask you a question? Players always want to try to eliminate their chance of being surprised. So they say things like, we're walking up very quietly. We're very alert. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do you handle that? So let's say that, you know, there is no door to the room coming up, and you've got, you know, two goblins on the other side, and they say, well, I'm being very alert. Do you take that into account when adjusting whether they're surprised or not? I do not. I don't either. They, the players don't tend to be big fans of that rule. Right. Well, it's this kind of, uh, the players will, and, and part of it the DM tries to do too, is to try to speed up the game. We kind of assume certain things. It's like, well, I'm always checking for traps or I'm not. And again, if you have to keep calling for it, then there's rolls and, and the game yeah. slows down. So... The idea is, well, we're always trying to be stealthy. Well, that's assumed you're not trying to bang noises. But the you know the only if you say everyone is stealthy, then you're diminishing the characters who truly have that ability. I agree with that because I think that role itself takes into account sort of this idea that you're being stealthy. So the right. one and two is the fact that I don't know. Maybe you had an itch. Exactly. Maybe something made a little noise and you looked over there. Those chances that something happened that even no matter how stealthy you are there's still a one in three chance that you're going to be taken unaware. So. Right. No, I agree. Three. I agree. And, and, you know, the idea of that a paladin who's in full plate mail, whose idea is combat and battle, is going to be as, as quiet as the halfling thief, and that as an aggregate, they're, you know, almost like the halfling has a, a cone of silence that envelops the paladin. Like, now we're all quiet. No, the paladin's still moving in, you know, 70 pounds of metal that's not set for being quiet. Um, whereas in, I don't know if it's in this game, in this mod, uh, book, Dungeon Master, but the monsters are typically quiet. They are quiet creatures yeah. for most, unless they say they make a lot of noise. And there's always the guy in the party who, of course, is mapping and saying, right. now, how wide is this that, hallway? Right. How many feet have we, where does this, is, did we take a left? 
right? Yeah, right? If you think about it, I, I actually think this idea of mapping in the in, in you know for the actual player character to really be mapping, I find it just hilarious. Right. This idea that they're you know they, they have make, graph paper and they have stencils. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's you know they're they're basically who knows what they're. I dropped my pencil. Right, it goes rolling. Where you know a piece of coal that they're using. You know, or a quill. I mean, they, yeah, yeah, right. you can buy a quill. Yes. So stop. They get out their writing desk and they're. they're this is the first thing you do when you're the DM. This is how you send the message to the players mm-hmm. that this is serious. Is when they start mapping and they're in the dungeon. Right. You say, "Do you have a quill? Right. Do you have parchment?" And they're like, "No, no. you're not mapping. You're not mapping. Give what me that mean? graph paper, and then That's right. take it from." And me. then you do the gra- action, grapple rules because you're, you know, give me that, you know, unhand me. <laughs> then, then you, then you it's actual grappling. Yeah, but there's eight of them and one of you. <laughs> exactly. And that's not good. So one of the things before we leave surprise, which we really need to do because we got a lot of other things to talk about, yeah. but um, is don't forget about the dexterity bonus on surprise. That's right. right. If you have a high dexterity then you can, you as an individual player character, so let's say the party surprise for two segments. If you have a high dexterity, so let's say you have a minus one, I can't remember where it kicks in, it tends to be pretty yeah. high, um, then if you're a minus one, that would mean that your character would be surprised for only one segment instead of two. If it was a one-segment surprise for the party, you wouldn't be surprised at all. I think it's fair for the DM to rely on the players to remind them of that. Right. So if you've got a dex bonus, I'm not, I don't want to keep track of all your dex bonuses. If there's a surprise... And you got a high dex, you tell me, hey, I'm not surprised, you know, for one segment or for two, whatever it is. And now, I think we've talked about this, and the general understanding, it's never mentioned for sure, it's alluded to in some examples, is that if you are not surprised when the rest of the party is, that just means you don't get attacked, but you don't get to do anything yourself. That's right. That, that's why you play, right? Well, and, and take it one step further, is that... Um, you then, as the dungeon master and the players, have to say, okay, the goblins, or let's say in this case... Um, the goblins w- surprised Pixie and Glade. They both uh, try to attack. Well, and how is that adjudicated? Do I said, well, one goblin goes against each of them. Well, maybe against uh, Glade, who may have a higher dexterity, they can't do anything. But against Pixie, because we know he has only a thirteen dex, which you've mentioned four or five times, you can't believe he only has a thirteen dex as a thief. Yeah. Um, so with the the then you have to figure out basically surprise at an individual level who. The party that's surprising, they go after someone. So would the goblin go after someone who's not surprised? Or would they only go after the ones mm. who are surprised? So it's not clear how you're going to adjudicate that. As the dungeon master, I basically would say, you know, I, I would. The, there's not a big counter on the person who's surprised saying I'm surprised or not. They're just rushing in. Right. So, you you know, but you you want to use that to the to, on the player's side too. Well, we're surprising this guy. Well, that goblin or that fighter wasn't surprised. So you get up to him and you right. lose your attack. Agreed. Um, so that's some of the nuances in the game uh, that that's not... So surprises in, is definitely um, is definitely a challenge. But, uh, again, it's, it's part of the reason the dexterity and the other things... One of the the players are always going to want to be able to do everything. They want to be stealthy. They want to fight first. They want, and in first edition, there's really a, a sense of this is a team game. Each person has a role, and some people do are better at things than others. Um, you know, especially you get new players. They want to attack first and jump first and search this. And you know that's why you have thieves. That's why you have fighters and people who have high dexterity. Um, they have an advantage in surprise. So okay, well surprise. That's that's surprise. And it can be as complicated. You can make it as easy as I roll two dice. I decide you get surprised in this, and whoever gets surprised, you kind of act as one round. Or you can work through it. There's going to be some scenarios, and just the more you do it, the better you'll get at. 
So let's just say, for argument's sake, in this encounter between the goblins and Pixie and Glade, uh, both parties are not surprised. And we kind of saw that in the scenario where, um, I think it was Glades was looking at them and was going to shoot them or something doing hostile action. Even though she thought she was being stealthy, she did not, and an initiative started at that point. And so, because this combat is basically happening at the same time, we don't really know who goes first. Initiative is an opportunity to figure out uh, who, what order of steps happen. So, initiative is very simple in, in first edition. It's a party initiative. We don't do individual initiatives, typically. Uh, I'll say that with an asterisk, because there, there is later, if you get to advanced combat, in advanced Dungeons & Dragons, there are some individual things you have to deal with. But basically, the party rolls a d6, the, the Dungeon Master rolls a d6, highest thing r- r- runs. And can, right before we uh, do our roll for initiative, could I just, can we talk just briefly about something we've already alluded to, which is declaring action? Yeah, oh, that's right. Because I think you. that's very important. Um, so it's never mentioned... I think it's alluded to somewhere in the DMG, but it's it not is. listed as like, you know, in terms of combat and the steps. I don't right. think there's a declare action step No, unfortunately listed. not. I think declare action is very important. So before you roll for initiative on each round, the dungeon master should go around the table and ask each player what they are going to do. It's on page 71. Oh, thank you. Actions during combat in similar time important situations. So, the, the activity of player characters and player character-directed creatures must be stated precisely and without delay at the start of each melee round or before the appropriate divisions of other situations where exact activity must be known. If you are a stickler, you may require all participants to write their actions on paper. Yeah, that would be amazing. Conversation regarding such activities is the same as if player characters were talking aloud, of course. Delay in deciding what is to be done should be noted, and such hesitation will basically mean that the individual is not doing anything whatsoever. Basically, you are delayed. And, you know, that's a style of play that I don't do. That's a style of play that Dan doesn't do, but that's certainly a legitimate style of play. What does your character do? I, I try to do Okay, that. what are you doing? You know, basically, yeah. just cut them off if they don't, because the idea is you don't have a lot of time. I've tried to do that at times. Uh, so what you're going to have happen, and I think it should be done. Uh, so what happens a lot is that so roll for you know you come upon two goblins, roll for surprise. Okay, neither party surprise. Declare action, and you go around the table. And what often happens is that a discussion ensues amongst the party. Hey, Jim. Do you have the, um, you've got holy water, don't you, right. Jim? Yeah, but holy water doesn't work against goblins. Okay, well, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to go around. I'm a thief. So I'm going to, you cover me while I go around. That It becomes, I, yeah, it, 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 and, and that's the tension. Go ahead, Dan. It, it, it just drives me crazy. It's not a war game. Well, that's it, isn't it? Right? So to me, to have some of the flavor, I think I, Gary Gygax was spot on on that. And so I, I haven't done that a lot. I've done it every now and then. If there's real delay... Um, I mean, you may recall I had one where, you know, I said, well, the, the hobgoblin gets up and starts running, and in a discussion ensued about what to do, and right. I'm like, he's gone. Right, and I think that's fair. Yeah, because, you know, they're they're talking about it. So I think... They had captured a bugbear, and after the fight, they're, I'm like, oh, he disappeared. What do, you mean, what do you mean he disappeared? You all were fighting. Right. You weren't paying attention to where he was. He's right. a bugbear. He's a quiet, you know, these giant quiet creatures. Um, but I think, I, you know, that's why I'm glad we're going through this, because I definitely think... Um, I've always played it. It was more of a Final Fantasy tactical 
combat kind of thing. You, right, you stop the thing. All right, it's like a pause. Yeah, yeah, like football. You know, you make you still okay. You're gonna go behind the post. I'm gonna throw it to you. <laughs> you, huddle, you huddle up yeah, before huddle the up. combat. <laughs> it's, it's the the goblins are huddled over it's here. A, you're huddled over here. Right, then, then, okay, break. And yeah, then right. got, And then you know, you know, basically the snap of the ball, and everyone does. Well, that you're thing. not surprised. So both of you can be neither surprised. They both be like, hey, we're perhaps gonna... that could be the next. That could be part of the style of, of play when when initiative happens. Um, they roll initiative. Everyone knows, okay, you guys won. We yep. understand that. They huddle up. What'd you then... guys get? We got a six. We got a four. Okay. All right, you got the ball. That's right. You go first. We we'll be on defense. We figure out. Okay, then we're ready. Okay, we won't move. All right, go. But, you know, it is that is kind of absurd. But the um, some of the rules lend itself towards tactical advantage. And then there's the argument of, well, these party members have have worked together as a group and you know they're like almost special forces that they've learned the tactics so their player the characters would know their actions it's, it's unfortunate the players are having to translate what it is and, and it almost you know you could say well maybe they come up with five tactical you know uh, execute defense move alpha where they all have preformed that which is also kind of absurd but that is I've tended to see most first edition games playing not like this more like Okay, you declare action, and you have some time to declare action and figure out a party game style. I I think, and I and I'm glad that you talk. You know, of course, the style you reference. I think it's at the end of the day. I guess it's based upon what your party wants and the style. I, I think I think it'd be very nerve wracking to do the style Gygax talk as a player right. to do the style. But at the same point, I think it would add real urgency to things. Yeah. It would replicate more what it's really like. Exactly, it's fast, it's furious, and I think that might be a lot of fun. So, but so what you should whether you and deadly by the way. I mean, if you have people deadly. don't know what they're doing, uh, or or not, and we'll talk about tactics later, strategy for combat in relation to first edition, that would definitely a get your it would challenge your experienced players, but it may end your beginning players because if they don't know what they are doing, um, as the dungeon master, you have some. This is the this is the tension. As a dungeon master, you know more rules than most people, most likely. And you have the advantage of knowing what all the creatures do, and you have a good understanding of the place. So you you have a, a, a it's it's not a, a fair fight from that perspective. So sometimes I, that's why I allow some more discussion. But if it's if combat is becoming boring and rote, where they're just mowing through people, this is a great opportunity to insert that in and, and throw in some chaos. Yeah, and I think what you can do is I think you can have a happy medium. So I think the way I basically do it now, I think is. If I believe you are abusing things, you are spending too much time yep. thinking about it, I may give you a segment penalty. Or if there's too much conversation, I'm be like, look, fast, fast, fast. So I guess I sort of give them a little, the, 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 the leashes has some give to it, but at a certain point. So I've seen people use a timer, they put the they have yes. timer and they put that down. I have timers. There you go. I have, but they seem so mean. I haven't actually I pulled it. them out. You, you should know, do that. That'd be great. So I think what you should do for declaring action... We have too many players in our group. You should just start putting the timer down. Yeah. Talk or get out. Right. So you should do declare action, and I think we've talked about this before, something I picked up at the conventions uh, I've been to, which is where DMs would have this concept of someone's in the box, Yeah. which is that player, whoever's in the box, they will both roll for uh, surprise and initiative. They will also declare their action first, and then you go around. I usually, I think most people are going to go around clockwise, and then once they lose an initiative roll, then the in the box would move to the player to their left, and then you would uh, have them declare action 
first time. So it's not always the same person having to say, it's nice to be last on Declare Action. He's here what the other players do. So. It's kind of like the dealer in, uh, in Texas Hold'em kind of thing. But, and that's some of the other things. Because if you do that, if you enforce in the box and you enforce quick things, then you don't get the thing of, okay, I'm going to wait until your uh, fireball goes off and then I'm jumping in, or I'm going to wait to see if you're killed. You can, but definitely in Dungeon Master's Guide, it talks about, the, you know, doing nothing is very bad. You should just, better to do something. And again, if you're a stickler, they would write down their specific actions. I'm going to attack the goblin. Um, if Dan's character killed the goblin, then, okay, I just run over to the goblin. There's, he's dead. Now I, I wasted my action. Players hate that. They hate it. Hate it. Hold up your action. Everyone looks around. Ah, right. oh, what? Oh, that's you're... Right. That's right. Again. Fireball. That's right. I'm charging. That's right. Yeah. And um, so, you know, if you have players, you know, I, I, I think I have some players like that, but my group is too large and too diverse where I could get away with that. It would be, you know, there would be a lot of anger as bad things happen to players with that. So... Uh, so initiative, actions are declared, and specifically the biggest action that's important that you want to capture. You, I tend to be, are you going to attack, are you going to move? Um, the one thing that must be declared is if a player is going to cast a spell. Because um, if you thought spells casting was fun, Dungeons & Dragons, magic is great. Oh no, casting spells in combat is a very dangerous thing. Because basically you cannot move, you have to be immobile. And so if you have any dexterity bonus to you, to protect you or anything, you're basically a standing still as you're waving your hands and uttering and fumbling for your uh, material component. And if you're hit before the spell goes off, that spell is ru- Not only does it go off, but the spell is ruined. You've lost it for the day. And you're very likely, as a magic user, not to have a lot of hit points. So, you, um, so that's one of the facets of the game from a strategy perspective, you need to understand. So uh, everyone's declared their actions, and uh, an initiative is done, so we can roll initiative. So I'm the goblins, you're the party. I rolled a three. I rolled a four. So the, the, the party's doing great. So high is good. High is good initiative. in this case. See, it's right. And uh, so there's three outcomes that can happen. Uh, one side, if, assuming there's two parties, two sides, two fights, uh, uh, the monsters in the party, there's not a third group, which again, that's even more challenging. The players could win, the monsters could win, or it could be simultaneous. And simultaneous brings in a lot of rules that you have to deal with that um, you don't have to deal with when the, the group wins. So basically, you know, um, that happens, what, one in six times that you could get simultaneous. Uh, so that is a great flavor, but from my perspective, uh, and we'll go over simultaneous, but it's like surprise, is the detail and the crunchiness worth the time it takes to figure it out unless unless everyone's willing to do it. So you've won initiative, uh, your party. So you have a number of actions. Let's say you've declared them. One of the first actions you could, could have done is parlay. You do not have to fight. You could basically say, I'm going to use my action to parlay. And, and so what would be some examples of that? Um, you know, I think you tried that with uh, uh, one of the goblins at some point. You may have tried it done before the combat, but parlay is basically what? My good goblin, how might you be doing today? That's right. Speaking goblin, hopefully. Exactly. Or hopefully the goblin speaks guy. So to parlay is to communicate, to talk. To negotiate. That's to right. To negotiate. And we should mention, too, uh, we, I want to make sure we don't forget to talk about multiple attack routines oh. and how that affects initiative. But, but 
But back, just bookmark that. So back to uh, to parlay. Yeah, to parlay is to try to negotiate uh, and avoid combat. And I think that, well, I, I was going to say, I think uh, these rules are not used enough. I think they're not used, it depends on your DM and the type of game. If you've got a game where, you know, all evil creatures are, are going to attack you and you'll have no success, then there's no point in it. But, you know, I've seen references in, in modules and things like that where uh, that the goblins can be bribed. Right. The bugbears can be bribed. So it's worth trying. It's always nice to have a little extra coin. That's right. And you might... Now, you, you might think that this is pathetic. I mean, I don't know if I can necessarily see a paladin paying off a goblin, you know, but, but you know... In my game, I mean, again, what... Paladins are all over the place. I'll just say they've been negotiating with uh, 100 orcs because, you know, the enemy of my enemy is a friend of mine would be the only Well, and I, you know, and, and that's probably a fair interpretation, Don. I don't know necessarily that the paladin is a death wish. Uh, but so... It's way more fun when they do. Because great paladins can flip. That's a that's another pocket. Paladins. That's a whole, a whole other podcast. That's a series. Right? Of, really? It is a series. Am I right? So You are right. So I think that it is, if in 1E, if you run into some baddies i think it's worth first if you've got the coin and you don't want and, and you've got a mission your mission isn't to clear out the dungeon you have a specific mission it's worth trying to throw some coins their way right see if they'll take them or, or you know negotiate with them i mean there are times in which you may have competing factions within a dungeon yeah. and you might be able to combine join like you said you know the, the you know the the enemy of my enemy is my friend or whatever Join with them. So uh, I think I think players should think more about this option. And it talks about in page sixty three uh, that the initiative can always the party with initiative can always elect to do some kind of communication. Then what would happen is there would be a reaction roll typically, unless in the module it says they will, you know the monsters will automatically attack or the circumstance. Uh, goblin, you know, a group of elves in this case. Uh, interacting with goblins, very likely the goblins are not going to listen to parlaying. They're just going to attack. So again, what's interesting, um, and again, players hate to lose, waste their initiative on talking. So it says, it's common for player characters to attack first, parlay afterwards. It's recommended that you devise encounters which penalize such actions so as to encourage parlaying attempts, which will usually be fruitless, of course. So, you know. That's, it, a, that's great. Yeah. So it's like, please encourage something and then make sure it's discouraged, you know. <laughs> it's really throwing that thing up. Don't allow uh, a trope to work all the time. So if you let parlaying work and it's, oh, that's great, you know, then the goblins actually go, oh, we weren't going to fight you. Oh, here's Alyssa. I'm sorry. We were right. actually waiting for you guys. Can we join your party, actually? Right. Where are we yeah. off to next? That's right. Where, Where are we, we going? That's ex- or, uh, you know, if, if and if that worked, then they talk to everyone. And, of course, when they fight the white, and they're like, hello, Mr. White, please don't level drain us. And they suck them up. And then, you know, the idea is to keep throwing up. So parlay is definitely uh, an option. And I think it becomes more an option when the player characters are either want to role play a certain way or when they're not as in good a shape as it is. Because, uh, like we talked last time, uh, most mo- most players, they know it, but they sometimes forget about it. The good stuff is at the end of the tri- at the end of the module. Anything between that point they start to the end is lessening their chance to get the good stuff. So smart parties will try to avoid damaging themselves or injuring themselves till they get to the end. Uh, parties that are not as disciplined, they just kind of go all over the place and they fight everything. And so at the end, they're hoping 
And as the dungeon master, you have to decide, you know, do you want to penalize not smart play by saying, yeah, I, I had assumed the party was going to be ready to go when they fought the boss, you know, in, in the module that you ran the, before I started, the module calls for a bugbear to be at the end. You know, that's a good point. And I hadn't thought about that until you just said it now, which is you're absolutely right. Which is, I think, you know, when I look at an adventure and I see the big bad at the end, I assume the party is walking in with full hit points, right. all their spells. But you're right. A lot of times, they're they just... stumble into They're it. limping in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to go in this room and rest. And they open the door, and they're like, oh, you've come to my lair. It's like, oh, hey, crap. It's on. <laughs> that's right. We, we try to parlay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we'll be your slave. That's right. You know, and yeah. uh, part, so one of the th- things, they, they ran into a storm giant in the... In the event, and again, uh, we checked for surprise. They weren't surprised. You know, they recognized probably something that could cast lightning bolts and had two giant sixty-foot creatures was probably not something they wanted to mess with. Um, a little metagaming there, but still, um, you know, they they decided to parlay and as opposed to attack. My 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 all-time favorite, not metagaming, is when John was playing. Uh, was he saying it? An illu- I don't know. I think he's illusionist, mm-hmm. a gnome illusionist right. or something. And again, he came across a vampire. By the in way, the by the way, there we were first, le- first or second level when we fought a vampire. And 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 Dan was running a a mo- published adventure. Yeah, we should from do Dragon the podcast. Magazine. That's right, Judge uh, Dragon Magazine and you. Hey, you, you did so. John, well, I really, you know, my character wouldn't know much about vampires. That's right. <laughs> so in, all I remember is, I think, casting a color spray. He's on the That's table. Right. He casts a color spray. He's eviscerated by the, uh, the vampire lord. The vampire took a bite out of the gnome, and that was it. So that was a bit I applaud the, the non. Exactly. J- James metagamed it, and James is like, we're running. We're still running. We ran all the way back to town. That's right. I don't even know how we get out. We're running. You like, you know how they when they those cartoons when they yeah. run through the wall, all different directions and everything. And they just run through the wall. You see the silhouette. Oh yeah, there it is. They yeah, run through it. Right. Exactly. I just kept cartoon. running. Yes. All right. So all right. So that that's uh, so that's parlay. So okay. then the next one of the next things you do because. Part of what the dungeon master has to do is determine, uh, as a dungeon master, you have to determine where the monsters are or the enemy party is from the, the player character's party. They may not be right, you know, in circumstances, you open the door and they're right there. But in other circumstances, it's a wandering monster. Uh, like, for instance, the uh, creatures that Pixie and Glades saw in the forest, these 15 flying things. Uh, I had to figure out how far they were and then... If they don't have a way to attack at a distance, you have to move to close. You have to somehow do. Uh, 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 you have to get together. So, if let's say in this situation the goblins were farther away than than the abilities for them to attack, uh, your choices would be two. You could either stay or three. You could stay where you're at, which is not not that great usually, or you could move to close, or you could charge. So maybe you can describe the difference between move to close and charge. So uh, my understanding, move to close is you know moving into melee, and if I recall correctly, in order to engage in melee, in that combat round, you have to be within ten feet. Do I have that right? That's my understanding. Yeah. So if you're outside of ten feet, then unless you're going to do, you have a ranged weapon, you're going to be firing at, at the baddies. You would then say, I move to close, which means that in the next combat round, you'd be able to engage in melee. Unless you chose to charge, right? So if you charge, 
you, I can't remember exactly how, yeah, it looks like you got the charge there. I don't know how, within what distance you need to be, but you're, you're going to close right. quite rapidly and you'll get an attack when you otherwise wouldn't. But um, it, it could be there. There could be some danger to that, right? You have a uh, you don't do it, you don't get your dex bonus. I think. Yeah. So, um, so like you said, st- closing the striking range. This merely indicates that the party concerned is moving at base speed. Uh, so each creature, each creature, each character has a base speed, and for humans and and characters, it's dependent on their usually twelve, and then depending on what armor encumbrance they have. So they can move basically one hundred and twenty feet in in a round. And this is on page 66, and the base speed is in inches, and again, that's back to the wargaming kind of background where Dungeons & Dragons came from, indicating tens of feet. So if you can move 12 inches, you can move 120 feet, because the idea each of these squares uh, on the map is 10 feet. Oh, and that's that's where I see it says in that paragraph under close to striking range, this action is typically taken when the opponent is over 10 feet you know, it drives me crazy, but the one inches, of course, right. means inside, not inside. Out, it means 10 feet. That's right. Uh, 10 feet distant, but not a long distance away. So it sounds like that's the rule. That's the sentence, I think, that's that right. everyone that's... uses to say you that's can't right. attack if you're beyond 10 feet. Yeah, and, and I allow for... So, and again, in first edition, um, you can move, you can attack, but you can't do both. There is no move and attack, and that drives people crazy, too. I want to move a little bit, then attack and move. No, no, no. You you have one action primarily, and that is uh, you can either move or attack. So moving to close is uh, the goblins and the humans are the parties more than let's say they're forty feet away. The um, now what it doesn't talk about is there's no such thing as a guard action. Well, you know I'm going to stand sit here and wait for the uh, people to come towards me, and then I'm going to attack. There is, there is none of that action. You basically, if you guys want initiative, your choices are to sit there right, or move up and then you wouldn't get your attack unless you charged. And charging, you get double your movement, you get a plus two to hit, and you don't get your uh, dexterity bonus and your armor class goes up by one. Right. Qu- creatures with no dexterity bonus become one armor class lower. So is it is it cumulative or so if you've got... If you don't have a dex bonus, you just go down one on your armor. So if you have your dex bonus, you lose it. Yeah. If you, you don't have it, then you get one. So it's, it's one or the other. Right. right. Got it. Got it. And then this is, you want to have a long weapon. Right. So this is another part of this is the game, now the initiative changes. So even though you have initiative, if, if so, for instance, so Dan's character says, I see the creatures, I'm charging them. Um, and I'm charging this goblin. Well, once he declares charge and he wins initiative, then... Whoever strikes first is dependent on the length of the weapon. So in the case of the combat, you had a longsword. The goblins had a club. I'm pretty sure a longsword is longer than the club. Your character would go first. And that would be in the player's handbook. I'd be right. The list of weapons will tell you the weapon length. And you can only charge once every 10 rounds or once a turn. So you can't just be charging all over the place. Oh, you can only do it how often? Once every 10 rounds. Okay. It's a pretty good... Charging's pretty good, though. I know you use it a lot. I think it's pretty good. If you have a long weapon, it's a pretty good well, thing to do. It, it, it kind of is... Because people hate to just move and just say, okay, now I'm in front of you, now hit me. It gives them an opportunity to do it. So that's on the top of page 66. One Only one charge may move may be made each turn thus an interval of nine rounds must take place till the second charge so and i've ruled that sometimes the charge only the players can do that it's a player skill and in my game 
I feel like fighters should have, you know, because fighters are kind of, they don't have a whole lot of fun things they can do. So I allow them to charge more often than other group things. Because why would a magic user be able to charge the same amount of times as yeah. a fighter? So again, that's a house rule, up in quotes. Um, but in, at rules as written, p- p- characters can, any, you know, creatures can uh, charge once per turn. And so the plus two, it sounds like, is only if you survive any non-charging or charging opponent's attacks, which occur first. So you don't get the automatic plus two. So if you look at 66, N- yes, <laughs> charging creatures at melee at the end of the charge. Charging creatures gain plus two on their to-hit dice if they survive any non-charging or charging opponent's attacks which occur first. Right. So it sounds like you don't get a plus two if you go first. If you have the longer weapon, it sounds like you don't get a plus two. Uh, No, I think that meant the opponent with longer weapon attacks first. Charging creatures gain if they survive any non-charging or charging attacks so for Which instance, first. right. So if I if the if if the bullywug or the the giant toad was jumping on you, charging, let's say, or, or I, I'm 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 charging with the uh, your you have the sword, but the goblin has a spear, and instead of that, right, he would not get a plus two. He would attack you first, right, and then if you survive, right, then you get your plus two, right. So in other words, so if if I have the long sword and you have a dagger and I'm charging you, you get plus two. And you'd go first. Oh wait, I thought I don't get. I only, thought I only get plus two if I survive the non-charging parties. But attack I first. Would go, yeah, but that's assuming I go first. In, in the case, weapon length determines that first. Right. So I've got the long sword. Right. I go first. In the case of the dagger, you go first. You get plus two. But if I have a sphere, which is longer than that, you have to survive my attack. Because again, if I'm setting my spear, you I can do double damage to you. And then if you survived it, then you would get that. Right. I get the plus two if I survive. Right. The but other parties attack first. Right. If, if they went first. If they went first because they had a longer weapon. Right. Correct. I don't get a plus two to hit you. Correct. Because I'm standing there. You only get plus two because you're charging. Oh, but I don't think I get a plus two if I'm charging if I go first. So if I have a long no, sword. No, no, You always get the plus two. Are you? It says if. If you survive it. Meaning, so again, not to belittle us <laughs> down. I'm the goblin. I have a spear. You're attacking me with a long sword. My spear would go first. I would get a normal attack against you. If I have it set to charge, then I would get double damage. So I may kill you before you get a chance to hit me. But if you survive that spear attack, then you would get plus two to hit. Okay. So I okay. So I always get all right. So you always get a plus two. Okay. The only thing you may not do. So for instance, one another example is let's say you're next to another monster, and you decide I'm going to charge after the magic user, mm-hmm. who has a staff, and because I'm worried he's going to cast a spell, you get an opportunity to attack like you learned from me. And you're, uh, and then you get you try to attack the the magic user. If the magic user has a spear and can attack you first, you would get two attacks before you get a chance to be attacked. That's right. the idea. You okay. have to survive the thing. Okay, that's how I read it. But I'm sure you can go and figure it out, and someone else has another version. So charge is a very valuable thing. But so next we have uh, you're actually just attacking. Um, you've, you're in range. You're within ten feet of each other, and you make your melee attack. And you alluded to. Uh, so yeah, let's go. Let's figure out how to, to to actually do an attack before we talk about things. So, um, one of my suggestions I'll talk about later is you can use there's tables uh, in the Dungeon Master's Guide which determines how to hit, and they're on page seventy four. So seventy four and seventy five. So in this case, I'm a goblin. My armor class, which is my numeric way to determine how likely you're going to hit me, is six. Glade is a first level ranger and a first level cleric. 
So uh, I would give Glade the advantage of whichever table is best for her. So for armor class 6, first level fighter is a 14. For a cleric, first level is a 14 as well. So basically, clerics, without any bonuses for strength or anything, hit attack at the same level as a first level cleric, first level fighter. Uh, in this case, you need a 14. So Dan, with if he didn't have any other uh, adjustments to either better or worse, he would need a 14 to hit. He would roll his dice. You can roll it. 13. Now, if he was charging, he would get plus 2 to hit. So you'd add 13 plus 2 is 15. So that is the advantage of that. Now, uh, if you were to roll your damage, let's say you did the D8. Okay. Right? So each in the player's handbook, it lists all the weapons and their damage. And damage is usually broken out by small and medium has one set of damage range and large has another. Some weapons are better against larger creatures. Some weapons are, are less efficient. But generally, larger the creature, the better it does. You did four hit points on the goblin. Let's say the goblin survived. Am I a ranger? Yes, you get one plus one for that. So you get five. So let's say the goblin survived. After that charge, the goblin would then use his club. Your armor class is eight. No, now it's five or six. He he's he's a up to one point one hit dice monster. He would miss. So that's how that scenario works. You could envision this in your mind's eye. They see each other. Glade charges with her sword. She strikes the goblin, and the goblin is unable. Swings overhead, missed, and that's the action that we saw. Now that changes a little bit how the idea of this one round, all this stuff happens. But basically. Uh, what you could see there is uh, Glade took the whole round getting close to them and, and striking. So that's, that's the basic attack. And you know any of the flavor that you add of where you hit and everything else, there's nothing mechanical to it. It's just to make it a little bit more than I hit, you miss, you miss, I hit. Yeah, my understanding is somewhere in there where they talk about hit points, uh, Gygax says that player hit points... Are not when you lose hit points in combat. It's not actually wounds right. and gashes. It's more just a weakening down of the character. And then when you 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 know hit the death number, it's kind of like the death blow. You've been weakened and the death blow is struck. But with monsters, it is in fact actual gash. So I mean, I, not that that should change the the way you you know describe combat because you know we talked about that in a prior podcast about it's fun to describe the combat and yeah. where the blows hit and so you know the, the one thing is if, if if you really wanted to play by the book i guess when you were describing combat and you're saying the goblin hits you wouldn't i guess wouldn't want to talk about gashes you just talk about it's like you know he he you know you're being weakened down significantly by the goblin right as opposed but I don't think that's a big deal. Um, but the, I think that's, you know, that was a, that was a, I don't know if it was an innovation of Dungeons & Dragons, but this idea of hit points, you know, it seems definitely unreal. And again, there's always that scenario of how does, you know, a 10th level fighter somehow survive a 20, 50 foot drop, whereas you and I, if we fell, well, this is a fantasy game. Yeah. And the idea is the reason they're 10th level is they're lucky or someone's looking out for them, all their skill, all these other factors that take into account of it. Um, and you know the, just the ability to quantify your luck, experience, skill, toughness—all this is is you know like it or hate it. There's lots of other ways to do it, and, and other people have grappled with it. Or you can just accept what it is. Uh, it, it, and and what the way they describe in the Dungeon Master's Guide is: these are this is a game. They have mechanics to make the game go 
as smoothly as possible without having it uh, ground down with more details. This is already crunchy enough. There are systems that came out this time which are even more crunchy, more uh, I hit a certain part. If I get through your armor, uh, it, you know, you, you'll have characters whose le arms are you know, broken and they can't do anything. Um, better, for, my, you know, for me, better to be dead than you know, have a guy whose, whose arm is lopped off. And, and there's, that's always that tension between a game that's a little more uh, abstract and the game keeps going to where you get the real, you know, how much realism do you want in there. So uh, that's melee attack. The other choice is, of course, uh, a missile attack. So let's say in this uh, scenario, it's actually Trixie because she, uh, excuse me, Pixie, he always seemed to be the one charging into combat. Let's flip this around. And actually Glade decides that she is going to use her bow and shoot at the goblins. So one of the big advantages of missile weapon, particularly bows, is they shoot twice versus most characters up until they get higher level get one attack. So you double your rate of attacks. Um, so a, a, a fighter with a bow is way more deadlier than a fighter with a longsword. But what's the problem with in this scenario if uh, pixies run into combat... Yeah. And Glades has decided to start shooting. What happens? What's the challenge there? Well, so the challenge is, and, and I guess in, in part it depends on how the DM plays it, but I know that once the a character is in melee, right. if you have another character shooting into melee, then there is a decent chance that any hit uh, is going to hit, it's going to be friendly fire. It's going to hit the other party member. And... I know that there's a fairly long explanation. It looks like you've pulled up the page, yep, page number. Page 63. 63, where you basically, my recollection is it's based, the percentage chance of hitting anyone in the melee is based upon the size. Right? Smaller creatures are given a less chance, medium, and then large, of course, are given a greater chance. And I think you actually have to count up yep. the number of creatures, identify what size they are, and then you figure out sort of the chance. Right. And then you roll. And then right? you figure out who... And then you figure out the hit. So I love where it says, Likewise, discharge of missiles into existing melee is easily handled. And then there's a giant paragraph to describe how you would have to do that. And, and so basically the, um, the gist of it is shooting into melee, um, it, it's not this idea of Robin Hood who's shooting the apple off the, you know, uh, the, the pinpoint arrow. You're basically firing into... Uh, and because this other idea, which is hard if you use miniatures... That you kind of have this static, uh, you know, like these shield walls hit each other and they're just bashing on each other. The idea is the party, right. the people are, are dancing around and they're parrying and they're they're moving. And so the archer is trying to anticipate a shot. They really don't have a shot. They're basically just firing into this maelstrom of people fighting. And so you, the only thing that matters on who they're going to try to hit is how many creatures there are, the size of them. You come up with a percentage you roll that percentage, and then you say, actually, you, you've shot... You're not shooting at the goblin. You're shooting into melee. And, uh, and that's... You know, i got to keep reminding saying it that way. Yes, I, when they say, I want to shoot the goblin, no, you're shooting into melee. There are two small creatures. There's one medium creature. So you basically have a 50-50 chance of hitting uh, Pixie or one of the goblins. Yeah, that is an interesting way to phrase it. You say, no, no, no. You're not, you're not firing at the goblin. You're firing, you're, so your action is attacking the melee. Right. You're attacking the melee. And it's actually, it's not terrible. Uh, so it's, and I'm just reading this, right? Small is one half, medium is one, and large is one and a half times. Right. 
So if it is, yeah. So like you said, I assume a goblin's medium. They're pretty small, but I assume they, they uh, get I think medium. They're small. They get small. Yeah, I think they're because they're they're dwarf. They're gnome size. But go ahead. Keep so going. if they're if they're are gnomes small. So if they are gnomes, are, yes, well, no, I know. Okay. So if it's if it's just one on one, it's pretty easy. So if it's a goblin, they're for, small, far for top. They're small. So if it's if it's a goblin and a human, then it would be right. It would be a one, one half. Yeah, one and third. Because each get a half a unit, so there'd be thirty three percent would be the the goblin, two thirds would be the human. Exactly. So I guess you roll a four sided, right? One and two, you hit the goblin, right? No, a four. Third, no, it'd right. be th- it'd be d six. One to no, two. No, I mean, yeah, I mean three to six, right? One and two, two, the goblin, yeah, three yeah, to six, correct? Right. So it's, it's that's not, one way to do it. Yeah. It's actually not terrible, um, but yes, but so that will discourage sometimes right. players from shooting. They won't like that rule. But that's usually that's it's, a, it's the beginning person. The person hasn't played before. Oh, I take out my bow and shoot at it. Like, okay, great, you shoot in there. Oh, you just shot your friend in the back. Right. I'm not coming back. And then, see you later. And they leave. They leave. I'm getting a drink. Both leave. Why is he taking his books? <laughs> they both leave. That's right. They both leave. <laughs> they both get up. I'm tired of getting shot. No, no, no. The guy who got hit when he sees the other guy, he have to leave, then sits back down. It's like, okay, well, if he's going, I'll stay. And, and, you know, so I've seen, I've done it different ways. I've given people cover in that scenario where, you know, so if a, if a dragon, you know, in this case, a dragon gets the same chance to be hit as a bugbear because they're both large. Well, a giant, a dragon's yeah. much larger than that. Or a giant's much larger than that. A giant can be 15 feet tall. Um, do you really have the same chance? You know, in that case, what I typically do is I just let them roll. If they roll really bad and missed, that's when I then I, I change it based on how lucky or how well did you hit. If you miss terribly and you're going after a giant, perhaps you hit one of your friends. Well, here's the good news. You're playing by the book. We'll go all the way down at the bottom. If if one opponent group, oh this is one oh this is one opponent group, not a creature, is significantly larger than the other. Accurate missiles will have a small. You may assign a minor chance of miss. So I take that to mean that you could do what you're doing is fine. I mean, why always you allow archfire to hit a giant or similar creature against a human or smaller opponent? Oh yeah, there it is on the last one. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that one because I just saw the the group was larger. But you you may you may assign a minor right. But this writer, for instance, always allows archery hits a giant. I'm just reading what you said. But so yeah, so so I guess the bottom line is if you you can adjust it as you see accordingly. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. then we have spells. Uh, spell casting is a key component. Um, when we talk about strategy, but uh, spells are in in the player's handbook. There's casting time, and if, you know when you first, <clears throat> if you didn't have the dungeon master guide, you did cast time segments. What does that mean? So um, fast spells take one segment. They take you know magic missile. You shoot that missile. It takes six seconds to cast that spell. Faster spells are always better because um, spell casters who are casting a spell, if they lose initiative, they get no dex bonus. They're basically just sitting there waiting to get wild. And this is, and look, I, I've done this. This happens where you declare an action. You say, okay, I'm going to cast Animal Friendship. Right. It's happened recently. Yes. And I think I've, I've done this. Right. So it's very easy to have this happen. You declare it. It sounds great. Right. Where, and then you open the book up. And the, the DM says, well, what's the casting time? And then it's like, what, three turns? or something? like six, three to six turns. So it takes an hour. <laughs> exactly. And, okay, I'm, this is what I'm doing for the next... Let's see, 600 segments. For so, it. yes. So, the lesson is, yeah, I think it is very important, if you are a spellcaster, to be aware of how long your spells take, casting time, because that can really make a difference. 
Yeah, and and this is where new players, it's you want them to play their character, um, but they have to read their things. They just say, "Oh, I'm going to cast that," and you're like, "Well, that takes three rounds. That takes thirty round. Thir, thir, uh, takes three rounds. The battle could be over with that." So they yeah. they they need to really understand their things, and so I tend to allow players as long as it's not completely broken. Okay, you're able to cast it. But you can't do it that way going forward, you know, because you yeah. want them, you, yeah. you want people to be encouraged. Because unless you be, well, good news and bad news. The good news is you now have a leopard as a friend. That's right. The bad news is the leopard's dead. That's right. The leopard <laughs> was killed a long time. It's just, <laughs> it's just you and the leopard. The party's gone. The sun is set. Where That's is everybody? Heal. 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 Why is he not? Why is he not learning? The book says he'll learn tricks. That's right. Why is he not? Three tricks. Oh, exactly. one thing too that I was curious about was oh, I I like spell components. I know no one plays with spell components. I think they're fun. I think they're wildly entertaining. I think they're funny. Uh, is that as best I can tell, the the segment time includes grabbing your spell components. I don't. I don't think this is very realistic. I think a one segment, if that's six seconds, you're fumbling for your spell components. But as best I can tell, there's nowhere in the book that says if you have material spell components, and not all spells do, that although you're supposed to get those material spell components, you get them out of the fold in your cloak or your robe, that it's still just one segment, right? That, that I don't think I've ever seen a DM say, no, 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 I'm going to add segments for you to fumble right. around and get your spell components. Well, it says the casting time is the time... It takes doesn't say if you have to be prepared for it. The other question is some of these, you know, some of these get consumed, these uh, spell components. Other ones say you just have to have them. Well, it doesn't say do you have to hold them in this case or you just have to have them on your body. It's, oh. You know, it's, it really uh, is casting time shows the number of melee rounds or segments of a melee round required to cast a spell. Remember that some spells require additional time preparation. So, um, you know. It's, so it doesn't say specifically the spell, for instance, create water, which takes one round. So don't create water. In a, mm. That takes a while. The spell requires at least one drop of water to create and a pinch of dust to destroy water. So does it? do you have to throw the water somewhere? I think that's where the player, if they really are role playing, they should help the dungeon master and kind of think about what that is. Um, we tend to hand wave some of that. The other idea is that you know they would have pouches on their belt and they would have them labeled. And part of the thing is... You know, I, you could argue. Well, at night when they're resting, they're doing the, they're they do quick draw with the. Uh, they're practicing the, 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 the prismatic wand, uh, the the crystal thing to do their hypnotic pattern, or their rose petals. Right, rose petal or a pinch of sand is uh, right there in their pocket, and they can just throw it out um, with that. Why not? I mean, you know, it's a fantasy game, and this is where that tension of I like components too. Players hate them, um, and generally, like we had a raised dead. I didn't hand wave that you need to have a diamond of 5,000 gold pieces. Oh. That is that is the material component that they had. Now, did they have it? I think they had some diamonds. I don't know if they were 5,000. It may have been more. But I remember them having some okay. diamonds with that. And my understanding is that the spell goes off, correct me if I'm wrong, on your segment that your party has initiative, right? So let's say I've got a one-segment casting time. I don't get to go immediately. Correct. Right? I got to wait in line like the rest of the party, correct? Right. So, in the case of three and four, uh, the Dan's party rolled a four, I rolled a three. Dan's actions start on the third segment. 
the goblin's actions start on the fourth segment. So it right. So it it actually matters what yeah. you roll. It's not just higher versus lower. It right. matters what number you roll. So that's a, so in spell casting. So if I had a one segment spell, in this case, the goblin would run up just before they hit me. You could and you cast magic missile. The magic missile would hit. But if you were casting um, hold person, which is a five segment spell, if I remember correctly. Uh, then your that would go off on the eighth segment. The goblins, if they were right next to you, could still attack that player because right. it took longer than the time it took for them to uh, the strike would happen before the cat thing was over. And even they, though they won initiative, and if they hit, of course, they disturb the spell. Right. So it really, yeah. So that that can be rough on the poor spellcaster. So so spellcasting in combat is is nerfed if in using the. the, the the, what the cool kids say. What does that mean? I don't know what that it's, means. It's, I, that's like a soft football. Yeah, isn't softball. It? That's right. It's, Is it's, that where it comes from? That's right. It's a soft football. That's right. So it's 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 less powerful than. Oh, uh, that's what's nerf. Because to me, nerf is a good kind, like nerf football. Right. But they're more it's like uh, no, nerf. It's football. not as good. Oh, it's not as good as it should be. It's nerfed. I love the nerf. Right? Yeah. So that you learn something every day. So spells. That's why um, mag- smart magic users and smart clerics will use magic items. Uh, you know, one of the great things about web, uh, items is their ability to be used in combat. It's a wand works all the time. You say the command right. word and it works. There's no, uh, as long as you're alive, that wand of magic missiles will work. And and, and, and wands, as I understand it, wands, it, it you direct it right at the recipient, right? So I can write, you know, you're saying, so I don't need to roll it to hit. That's right. The wand it's, of magic missiles, yeah, it's just like a magic missile. It automatically hits. And I think other wands too, right? Isn't it generally, unless it says otherwise? Well, a wand of lightning would be a lightning bolt and it would do this thing. But it goes, but I don't have to roll it to hit. They no. may get a save. Right, exactly. But they, but I don't have to roll it to I, hit. I, I can't think of a wand that has a, a, you know, let us know in the comments if there's a wand that uh needs to hit roll. I'm pretty sure all the wands, if they replicate a spell, they just do with the spell. Which does. is very nice. Yeah. Okay. And so so magic items is one thing you can do. You can discharge a magic item. If like I said, you have uh, or you could drink a potion or you could cast a scroll. Um, it doesn't talk about if I start reading my scroll and I get hit, does the spell get failed? You could argue that, but it doesn't say that. I don't recall necessarily mm-hmm. by using it. You could be attacked and still get the scroll off is, is the idea, even though there is, a, there is a number of segments it takes to read a scroll. Oh, can I go back to one? So I can wand into melee, no problem. A- absolutely. No problem, With right? a wand of magic missiles, absolutely. You could be blasted. But most other ones, unless there was a right or not. Well, a wand of fireballs would be something you'd want to be careful with. Agreed. But so let's say that you know I've got a wand of flesh to stone. I can right. wand that. I can do these at wand Correct. into melee. I'm That's not right. doing that melee missile. It's not treated right. like a missile attack. No, nope, it's right. not. It's very nice. Okay. That, that part's really good. So magic items, so, so here you're starting to see some advantages and disadvantages. So spell casting combat, not so great. Magic items, good in combat. Uh, you know, certain characters, because of their hit points, should be... Uh, they're they're not as as well. That's why you know when I was kind of teasing Dan when he was having um, Pixie run into battle, he had two hit points with leather armor. Um, Glade only Glade had seven hit points, so three times the amount of hit points. So yeah, but you know, I, I was like, well, one part part of the strategy of that. So um, so that's the basic of what you can do, right? You can attack, you can move, attack. Cast spells, use magic items. Now we start getting into some of the special things that enhance the game. And part of that's conditions. And this is where the wargaming um, elements of the game kind of creep back into uh, Dungeons & Dragons. So, you know, we, we just spent this time talking about how the, the, the 
battle is dynamic and Dan's characters and the goblins are kind of dancing around. Well, then there's this idea of rear attacks, flanking attacks, and parrying, which is uh, basic uh, bonuses or subtractions to uh, you know the, your ability to hit or be hit. So maybe you can describe the difference between a flanking attack and a rear attack. Well, it's fortunate that I'm a former war gamer because I think in hexes and, and right. Uh, so right, so uh, a flank attack would be on from the side, right? Yep. And a rear attack obviously would be from behind, and yep. you're going to get different bonuses. Right. Right. I mean, I know that the and and and. It, sometimes the creature being attacked will not get bonuses, so to speak, right? Yep. They won't get a dex bonus or a shield That's bonus, right? right? And, and perhaps you could talk about I'm not as well versed on the specific. I know I think uh, you lose. Right, so a rear attack, so a flanking attack, all, this is on page 70. All flank attacks negate any defender's armor class addition for shield. Now, again, this is where on your player's character sheet, Goldenrod player's character sheet, it says which hand is your shield hand, or weapons hands is in which hand. Because obviously most people, are, if you don't say, it's assumed that most players are right-handed then, so your left hand. So if you attack from the flank, if you're attacking from the rear flank, it would be this side, you wouldn't get your shield bonus. And Oh, so you would get, so if I had the shield on my left hand... Would you give a you would you give my shield bonus yeah. for a flank attack on the left? That's right. Got now, it. if it's a rear flank, because again, depending on facing, and there's there's a chart. Uh, it, it, this is where if you've moved away from theater of the mind and you've moved to, uh, it shows for each size character how many other characters can get around it. So in this case, let's say a, a medium character can have eight uh, medium. I think they can have eight medium characters around them or six medium characters around them. I'm trying to find that where that is exactly. But, um, and it shows you the flanking of each of those areas. Oh, yeah, it's on, I think, 69 number of opponents per figure. Yeah, there it is. That's right, 69. Thank you very much. So can I, I just want to, can I, because I, I like to think in kind of charts and groups. So flank attack is going to be a negation of the AC uh, I'm sorry. The uh, shield. The shield, right? The right. AC edition for the shield, which is, of course, is a plus one. So, it, so it could be more if it's magical. Yes. Oh, correct. So if I've got the shield on my left hand, right. then what you would play it is for a flank attack on the left, I'm still fine. That's right. But on the right, that's right. I lose the shield. Correct. When it becomes a rear flank, the rear flank, which yes. is obviously in between the flank exactly. and the rear, then. I am also losing my... I assume I would lose, even on my shield side, That's you would right. say I lose my shield. That's right, because they're attacking the back, not all the way behind you to be on the sides of you. And I lose any dex bonus. That's right. And then, from the rear, right, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's obviously you're going to get in no shield, yep. no dex, and a plus two. So it moves exactly. in steps. It's exactly. sort of like it's from you lose shield, right. you lose shield and dex, you lose shield and dex, and it's a plus two to hit. Back to that theme of your armor class is the best it's going to be, and then it moves down from there. Right. Not like you, when you attack. This is the best thing, and then you get penalties. And 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 bad AC means high AC. That's right. right? So That's in other right. words, a 10 AC. So if you're a new player and you're the magic user and you yeah. see a 10 a AC, 10, that's you're like, awesome. Yeah, that's garbage. That's, that's the worst. That's the worst. Negative the, 10. Negative 10 is the best. It's awesome. Yeah. Negative okay. 10 is you're, you're virtually unhittable. Okay. Right. So... So those are the initial conditions. So if you're fighting depending, and this is where it skews towards you know using miniatures so you can see 
uh, you know, this character is in front. Right. And um, again, when you use uh, squares, it's a different scenario than when you use hexes. Um, so again, looking at the, uh, from a square perspective, you have three people in the front, two in the front flanks, and then three in the rear is the idea. Uh, for a typical medium versus medium, or now small versus medium, you know, more small creatures can obviously attack a medium creature, more small creatures can attack a large creature. Uh, you know, if you're a beginning dungeon master, you don't, I wouldn't get too stressed about how many number, but you get a general idea of like things can attack eight to one, uh, on t- basically around it. You have three, two, and three uh, behind it. So, okay. those are for. Um, Uh, conditions when both parties are fighting normally then you have conditions based on um, we talked about surprise where you don't get your dex bonus and you you may not you may not have a shield Um, you know one of the things you have to keep remembering we didn't talk about this during rest and during uh, we we haven't really talked about some things when when the party rests and they put people on watch well if the party gets attacked not everyone's going to have their armor so some people may just have their shield if they're waking up. Only the people on watch would have armor. You know, don't don't forget that. So if you're if you're uh, so we talk about surprise. Then there's held, sleeping, or uh, stunned, prone, and motionless opponents. And and the Dan and the Dungeon Master's Guide they go over that in page seventy as well. Uh, yes, and there's also so uh, yeah, it's also on page sixty seven. Right? right, we also have some modifiers. Right. Too. Right. Yep. Which is. Can create. I know we've talked about this that we had to reconcile some of this, right? Because so on sixty-seven, if you're encumbered, held held by one leg, off balance, etc. Encumbered is that's an interesting one because right. if you're encumbered, so if you're playing by encumbrance rules, which I think most people don't, but right. if you're playing by the book and you're using encumbrance and you reach the level of encumbered, you get no decks and you get B plus two to hit. Right, uh, and then if you are stunned. Held by both legs, slowed or partially bound, it's plus four. And that's interesting. Slowed, I don't play, I gotta keep remembering it. If you're slowed, because normally we just do mm. the one, one uh, they lose half their attacks. Slow is a spell that makes you move half the speed. And I don't, I forget, for, forget to keep adding the plus four for slow. That's, I'm glad we read that again. Yeah, I'm sure your players will be happy that yeah. we're doing this. Uh, if you're magically asleep, held, paralyzed, held, meaning by the spell. Right. Not like just physically. A hold person, yeah. Right. Paralyzed or totally. Anytime you see anything in a talent, not anytime, but most time you see something in a talent, it usually means it's a reference to a spell. Yes, right? that's right. In these books. Paralyzed or totally immobile, it's an automatic hit. And then how does page 70, does page 70 add anything to that? Basically, it's, yeah. So basically, yeah, you have, you talk about flank and rear, then um, you have. Surprise, you lose decks. If you're slowed or encumbered, you you get bonuses. Um, and then finally, the worst thing that can happen to you is if you're held, or magically held, or sleeping. So uh, one of the most powerful spells the beginning level magic user has is sleep. They cast a magical sleep. The creatures are slept. And at this point, um, bad things. It, surprise is bad. Being magically held or slept is as bad or worse. And the reason being... During combat, if a creature is magically slept or held, any character, any creature that attacks them attacks at twice their uh, attack rating. So if I normally get one attack, I get twice attack, and I automatically hit, which talks about it on page 67, as you said. Uh, magically held, asleep, paralyzed, or totally mobile, automatic, 
and I, the, the creature attacking gets multiple maximum damage. So this is why I think, and you know, I had always thrown out this idea that I had, which I think was, was not entirely accurate, which was this idea that if you're playing with the hit point zero to minus three mm-hmm. as unconscious as opposed to dead, I had always been throwing around with, with much uh, authoritative inflection Mm-hmm. that if you are hit, again, at 0 to negative 3, it's automatic death. I think what I probably had done was I'd probably taken these rules and basically been like, well, you're pretty much dead and transferred right. it. Because what's going to happen is if, if you're playing that rule, and so let's say you're at negative 1. You're hit by the goblin. You're laying there at negative 1. Right. The goblin goes to hit you again. It's... It is well. You're unconscious. So what is it? You're unconscious. You're Are unconscious. You then, is it plus two? Is it still got? A, is it automatic? You're, so what no, would it's, it be? it's your emotionless opponent. Your that which would be plus four to hit. It's your stunned, health slowed, partially bound. So you think right. it's a plus four? It's not. That's right. Only because it specifically says. But ma- it's interesting. Yeah. Specifically says magic. Uh, Are totally immobile. Why wouldn't you be totally immobile if you're unconscious? Well, because unconscious doesn't mean you're dead it just means you're out you could still potentially writhe around a little bit you think yes okay um you could adjudicate that but the thing is it's stunned held by both legs partially bound because you're not well, but again that says automatically hit i don't mind the automatically hit you could even say it's plus four automatic but it doesn't do max damage but it does say mo you're all right i mean on page 70 it then it refers to it motionless right opponents do you so, want to be nice to them or not nice to them? That's well, really no, question. and you're right. I mean, it is. Mo- you're not. A, it is interesting why motionless is considered different than held. Yeah. Well, the the key is magically slept or held. You're literally are. are there's this thing that's holding you there, as opposed to natural. I might. So what you're so so like if I'm asleep, I might like roll over. Right. Okay. It's the same thing of they in their thing to attack you. You're they make a, a sign, and just before they strike, you hear something and you wake up. Or you move. Yeah. Or if you're like my wife, you flail around sleeping. So whatever. So the downside is, so it's not all, so but if you're at negative one, if you're at negative one mm-hmm. and the goblin decides to attack you again, which right. I'm not saying the goblin, but probably goblin probably isn't going to attack you, but you know But other creatures will. But you know in the movies, mm-hmm. when you know you hit somebody and they go down, you can see the goblin, let's say there's combat over there, go ahead and takes a Right. Stick, if the goblin decides to do that, it's going to be a plus four. That's right. It's two attacks instead of one, correct? No, it's not. Oh, two no, attacks. I'm sorry. That's only for magically slept or held. Oh, that's right. Okay, sorry. Sam, I'm getting confused. Right. Okay, so it's plus four. Um, is there any extra? Is that it? Is it just plus four? So there's it. no extra damage. Okay. It's plus four. Okay. So it's not as bad as I thought it was. So you've but got they get no dex, they get no shield, and they get plus four to hit. So they're probably going to hit. But there's no extra on damage or anything That's like that. Correct. And so there, you got a shot of still living, but it's, right. you're not looking good. Because, again, part of it, too, is the, the, you're, to hit is you don't, you're not focusing on just killing that person. There's other combat involved. Because, again, if combat was over, yeah, you don't have to roll to hit. Because you, you'll have plenty of time to kill the person. Right. And it even talks about that and magically uh, the number of attacks. Otherwise, such opponents may be automatically slain. So the idea is... If you're not fighting, uh, you can just kill magically held creatures one one thing per round. Right. So I think you're right. I think the real thing to focus on is, is the person magically held right. or not magically held? And are, are you in combat or not? Because if you're in combat, the idea is someone may take... If you're just focusing on them, someone could take advantage and attack you. So that's why you're still keeping your guard up. If you think that's great, 
that's that's up to you. Okay. All right. So uh, and and then then you have the situations of charmed creatures. You know, one of the things that always makes it interesting. So you cast a spell. The magic user casts charm person or charm monster on the other party, or you get charm. You know that uh, then that leads into the things we talked about last time with encounters. How you role play that can be a, you know that. Uh, the challenge of combat is there's this idea of what's called a death spiral. So let's say there's four there's four goblins and there's four player characters and they're evenly matched. Well, when one character gets hit and they can't fight anymore, now there's four attacks hitting the party and there's only three going back. And eventually it's four against two. So this kind of snowballing happens. So when you charm person, you flip the script. You go from four on four to five on three. At least at a minimum that charm person is not attacking you. And another thing is... If the char- if the spellcaster says protect me and one of the parties attacks the spellcaster, the guy who's charmed is going to attack that. So these kind of spells are they change the the, the scope of the battle and you go from being looking like you're doing well to oh you're, you're not. So uh, the last uh, item is turning the ability to turn. It's a clerical ability. Undead creatures are typically evil in nature, magical in nature, and clerics through the power of their deity. Can it's that exorcism, you know, from the movie? The power of Christ compels you, and in, in, in kind of uh, deals with the undead or devilish or demonic forces. And depending on the level of the cleric and the power of the undead, the cleric has it basically makes it to hit roll or version of it to hit roll. And the higher, if they exceed or meet or exceed the number they need, they can either turn, meaning the creatures repel from the idea of the vampire and run away, or if they're evil clerics. Or chaotic neutral clerics, <clears throat> they can uh, have those those undead will join them. And uh, you know, we had a situation in the game that Dan run. We went from we were totally dead. I, I was pulling out my dice to roll to making a couple of good rolls, and now we're in good shape because we before uh, six ghouls and four skeletons have befriended the party, as opposed to killing us. And this is why you know. So ghouls are absolutely deadly. So um, that's that's turning. Any comments on turning from your perspective? Yeah, so a couple things. So I recall the DMG at 65 and 66 talks about turning, and I believe it is for, right, there's a certain amount of, of rounds, and there's an amount of time, yeah. right, that it is. I'm trying to look for that. I think it was like five seconds, I thought, for to turn it takes, but that's typically. Oh, like, you mean, oh, I was talking about how long the creatures are turned. Oh, you oh, mean sorry. the amount. Oh, that's interesting. I had now thought about the amount of time it yeah, takes. I think it's five I, segments. Oh, I had always assumed it was just a single segment. That's certainly the way I was playing. Oh, from it. three to twelve rounds is the uh, turning effect. How long they'll be fleeing for. Yes, so, right. so the dungeon master needs to remember to roll. I mean, obviously the players shouldn't know that. Yes, uh, three to twelve rounds. Yeah, where was that? It's on page 76 at the top, under oh. good, good clerics. Yeah, why? of course, why would I be looking at turning undead? That would, why would you find that there? Uh, right, so uh, yes, because you've got more on the combat table. Again, yeah. one of the the tough things about the DMG, things are kind of scattered on places. Uh, he didn't want you to miss anything. He didn't want you to all be in one place where you just read that part. There's such a panoply, panoply? Panoply? Panoply, yes, panoply. Of, uh, of information. He didn't want you to miss it by just focusing on one area. Right, exactly. So, uh, right, that's, that's not less than three, way. not more than uh, 12 rounds. Right. And so, uh, for people who aren't familiar with the concept of turning, or you described it a bit, is, you know, so the... It's like the classic holding up the cross of the vampire, and they're repelled, as James talked about. So they will move, 
basically as fast as they can, right, away and try to get to safety. And so a lot of times that's sitting in a corner. Right. Uh, now, the next thing is, and the DMG sort of alludes to it. I know, I think in Dragon Magazine, it was mentioned uh, for sure in Sage Advice, which is this idea, and I think this is the way most people play it, which is that if you attack turned creatures, they're not just going to sit there and die. They're horrified. They want to get away. Right. But they will fight to save, well, it seems weird to say the undead or save their lives. Save their unlives. Save their unlives. They will fight. And so this is sort of the breaking the turn, right? So right. if you sit there and you, you attack them, it, it's game on again, right? Yeah, the only part I say that is... Um, that doesn't break the turn is if it's an opportunity attack, which we'll talk about fleeing. So mm-hmm. if I creatures agree. are fighting each other and you turn them and they turn and run, any opportunity attack. Now, if you pursue them and you or you corner them and you attack, then you can adjudicate the breaking of the turn because they are not just going to hover in the corner and then get slaughtered. Yep, I agree. I agree with everything so, you just said. So turning is again that's a game changer, and this is where if clerics don't remember this, you know, uh, ghouls. Uh, the, Ghouls and, and skeletons and zombies, they're tough by themselves. But if you have a cleric and they're successful in turning, that changes the dynamic. And you can keep going. So if you fail, you fail. But right. if you if there's a group of undead and you succeed, and so you're going to turn a certain amount, my understanding is you can try again then, right? As right. long as you've been successful. As long as you've been successful. Right. Okay. And there's two ways to do it. You can either start bottom up or top down. So some uh, Gary guy says, you could say, well, if you didn't turn the highest level one, the rest of them don't turn because they're under the control of them. Mm-hmm. So I would argue that would be more like a vampire or a specter, some, some really intelligent dead that's controlling the minions. Other ways, you start from the bottom up. So if you have ghouls, zombies, and skeletons, skeletons being the weakest, ghouls being the hottest, you roll, okay, I affected the skeletons, and the next round you could try to go after the zombies, or you could go and then go after the ghoul. So what that gives the DM is a little thing of they all just don't run away right away. And when you're really high level, they just turn to dust. Yes. They, they, could, they, they can. They, they can be destroyed or turned automatically. And we've talked about in a prior podcast about how there's no discussion of how neutral clerics turn right and so polyhedron said that if you're lawful neutral it's as a good chaotic neutral as an evil yep. which can be a lot of fun for so game. we've kind of gone over the those main things so let's start now we're at ending combat so the easiest way to end combat of course is one party slays the other party or um the other is there's a thing of called it's called morale if you have non-player characters in your party uh and or the monsters at some point the dungeon master would have to determine based on how the fight is going to determine how much fight they have most people you know we we tend to run this and this is not i think correct that monsters are just going to keep fighting to the death they're just mindless and they you know skeletons will do that zombies will do that but goblins they want to live they have small goblin babies and families they have stencils of their lives and, and they do not want to just die horrible deaths so um it's always sad when, you know, you kill the goblin, you pull out the wallet, and you see right. the picture of the kids, isn't it? Something, you know, from, from Goblin World where they went as a family. <laughs> right. And they, or they have, t- and more, what's even tra- more tragic is the card saying, you know, I'll, I'll be home, t- it's the t- 10th anniversary. Right. See you tonight, see honey, you tonight. love you. The little right. note from the, little the wife. From the wife or the spouse <laughs> as they came back. You know, this it's be best. This will be our best year ever. And You're making me sad just thinking about it. So, and, and you've just slaughtered them. So... Um, and this is a tool for the dungeon master morale, um, because a can if the if the if the combat is just going to be a slow grind, there's not a lot of just have morale. 
And if the morale fails, and there's a, there's a chart in here that describes how morale is, is adjudicated, and I wish it was simple, but it's not, and it's on page 67, and it talks about, uh, basically it's a 50-50 chance that they'll stay or not, and this is one of the one area where, depending on the role, there's a graduation of failure. A lot of things like saving throws, save or die. You, you save, you, you live, you don't. This one, depending on your role, the reaction of the morale failure could go from falling back fighting to surrender right then and there. Yeah, and you know, and you said, you know, it's not it's it's not simple. So, you know, I think this is one of those rules that it's not hard to follow. The what makes it complicated though is that the amount of time you gotta spend adding up all the numbers. Right. So it's not like, oh, I can't figure this out, this is too hard for That's me. Right. But it, it you know, it it drags it. Okay, okay, everyone, hang on, doing a morale check for the monsters. Yeah. All right, hang on, just you know, break in the action. That's right. Sit out, relax, guys, because I got to do all this these numbers here and figure it out. And I think that's what's sort of. I think when people complain about the morale check and say it's hard yeah. or complicated, or whatever, they don't necessarily mean it's rocket science. It's yeah. just it's it's cumbersome. For all the variables that you could do, there are. Uh, I created a spreadsheet, and even then, it took about forty seconds because I had all the things. Yeah. You know, are are they over how many player how many characters are killed? So anyway, you you um, so as the as the action is going, uh, unless the creature is mindless or focused on killing kill or be killed, you know, the dungeon master at some point would start rolling morale and it will determine whether they're going to continue to fight or they're going to start withdrawing or surrender. And so um, so you have surrender, which is uh, one choice, where then you go back into parlaying and, and in the normal encounter. You, you, and, you know, our group does that a lot. If creatures surrender, you know, Dan does this, and we tie them up, and we kill them at some point, or we set them on fire and throw them at things. All these other great actions that we do. Or um, you, you, you may not accept their parlay, you know, their surrender. You just, people run them through, uh, depending on the role playing. So that's one action. One of the other things it talks about is fleeing, disengaging, retreat, or fallback fighting. So unfortunately, in the Dungeon Master's Guide, um, it talks about fleeing. And Dan learned uh, when he was playing Glades and, and Pixie that fleeing is a terrible choice. Why is it a terrible choice? Well, because they're going to get this opportunity attack. They get an opportunity attack. If you're engaged in combat and, the, and so for instance, the goblins are fighting, they realize maybe there's one goblin left and they fail their morale. They're like, oh, I'm, I'm dead because these, these guys are way better than me. I'm going to flee. That means they turn around and run. The Both Pixie and Glades get a free attack at a rear attack the, at, at plus four. So it's a plus four and a rear and So what's the better thing? Is it a withdrawal, like a fighting withdrawal or something? Right. So let's say you're in big trouble. So they have fallback fighting, disengage, retreat, and flee in panic. Well, flee in panic is you flee, you get the automatic attack. What page number are you? On page 67. I'm oh, sorry. thank you, yes. Okay. So uh, it says morale failure. So be, so if you fail between 1 and 15 points, you get fallback or fighting. And then 16 through 30 is disengage, retreat. So um, so I was fleeing in panic. Yeah, you were fleeing in panic. So, <laughs> and in, so what's interesting, in the player's handbook, because uh, again, which came out before the Dungeon Master's Guide, in the back where it talks about combat, the participants in melee can opt to attack parry, fall back, or flee. Now, in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's no discussion of what fall back means. Mm. It says in here, 
falling back on page 104. Falling back is a retrograde mood facing the opponent and can be used in conjunction with a parry. An opponent creature, opponent, an opponent creature is able to follow if otherwise engaged. So what that, but it doesn't tell you how to do that. It doesn't say how fast you can move. It says basically if I'm going to disengage, I'm going to do a parry and I'm going to basically back up. But it doesn't say how fast you can back up. If you flee, you move your full movement. It, so what I do is I say you can move half movement, assuming someone's not behind you in your way. What's a parry? I, I remember I see what is it? Dodge parry, wasn't there? Like so so a parry Donald in, Duck or something like that. <laughs> which, yeah, right. in, in the in the player's handbook, a parry is, and I think it's in the dungeon mask. Parrying disallows any return attack, but their strength to hit bonus is subtracted from the opponent's to hit die. So if you are a fighter who has exceptional strength or your player character has exceptional strength and you get plus two to hit, you can instead use that plus two to put a minus two on the person. Oh, what attacking. page were you at? That's on page 104. Oh, okay. So that's probably, so the lesson there is that's probably the better move. The fleeing in panic is not, a, if you're in big trouble and you want to disengage... Fleeing in panic is not necessarily the challenge. With that is uh, when you, at the end of at the end of the combat, if you don't surrender or the party doesn't surrender, and one starts running, then you have what's called a pursuit uh, scenario where one party is trying to pursue and ev- or evade the other party, and so that's on page sixty-seven. So okay, so can I just, so the parry, so the parry, you know, one one hundred four, a player's handbook. So that is basically designed to, you don't want to attack. It's like, come on, cut it out. Right. <laughs> right? Someone's attacking you, much smaller, and you're just dodging the blows. I don't want to kill this guy. Right. I'm going to let him just try to hit me. And then the fallback is doing both of those things. I'm going to fall back. And withdraw. And, 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 okay, and withdraw. So the parry would be an unusual one, just a parry alone. You're just sort of standing there, and I envision, like, I'm going to use this when... Somebody small, I don't think is going to do. I, I have eighty hit points. Right. They have four. That's the little. Way. The yeah. goblin's jumping up at me, trying to hit me, yeah. and I'm like, I'm gonna. Yeah, I yeah. want the goblin alive. Right. I'm gonna parry. Yeah. Or, or that's one scenario. The other scenario is you're fighting a uh, uh, something that needs magical weapon to hit. Oh. And you can't hit them. So I'm just laughing. Right. 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 So the. So, oh, I can't hit them. They right. They need a magical. Okay. Uh, you're you're fighting a uh, yes. a white who needs a plus one magical weapon or silver. So weapon. I should parry and fall back on this one. Right. You, well, you have no way to hit them. Maybe right. the other characters are using magic or something. So you're trying to take the tension from them. So you parry. So they have less likely chance to hit you. And instead, other characters hopefully have a way to, to hit them. So how quickly do I miss? So the problem with a a. Falling back, though, is I can be followed pretty easy, right? right? Well, it, because it doesn't say how much movement it is, it clearly the way you have to read in between the rules is fleeing says you can move at your full movement right, away. Right, uh, So fleeing, withdrawal has to be some less than that, and I've said it's half that. So in the case of Pixie and Glades, maybe they move half, which is six, but if the goblin moves nine, well, then in their action, they could move nine. So so it sounds like that's useful if you are in melee. So you're a magic user and you find yourself in melee and you're like, I need to get out of here. Right. It sounds like the falling back is better yeah. because all I, I know I'm probably not going to be followed. If there's a melee happening, right. I'm just getting out of the melee. Right. If it's one-on-one, maybe fleeing in panic is better if right. it's one-on-one because you know they're going to be following you and if you're right. faster. You but if you're just away. trying to get out of the melee, right. fall back, 
Got it. Okay. And, and it gives advantages to people like monks who are very fast. So moving, if you did say half movement to withdrawal, their half mm. movement still may be faster than then the other you... person's movement, so you quickly could get away. And so in your case with glades, for instance, because she moved at 12 before she had armor, mm-hmm. she probably and she had a bow and the other didn't have range weapons, she could have ran back 120 feet, shot, then the goblins can only move six and keep moving farther away, basically keep a distance between the goblins and them. So she could move 12, the goblins would move six, she could shoot, if she won initiative, move another 12, basically keep distance from the goblins. Oh. And 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 because once with, you with disengage, the, with, oh, with, with the one, with the falling back, right? Well, falling back, she could have moved half her movement. That would have been six. That would have been six if she won initiatives, then she could move twelve. But she wouldn't be able to hit. She would, the issue is she would not be getting hit at that point because mm-hmm. so in in glade scenario, she moves back six. The goblins then take their action. Well, the only action they have is they can move six. Mm-hmm. So now it's initiative again. So as long as she keeps winning initiative, she could not be hit and continue to move. Oh, because they are they're beyond ten feet at this point. That's right. Because I'm thinking I move six. Well, that's within ten, but no, it's not really. The six is sixty feet. That's right. They have to move six unless they charge. They'd have to move sixty feet. If I win an issue, right? So, so, it, you, so let's say so. I, I'm in trouble. I'm with a goblin. And I'm in trouble. Right. What I want to do is, is I probably I, I if if I know I'm faster than the other side. So I, I move back. Hopefully, I, I want to win initiative, obviously. Yeah. If I don't win initiative, it doesn't matter. I mean, and this is the advantage, trying. like you said, uh, what what do I get for winning initiative? Well, this is where, remember, in the last one, you get advantage because you can fall back. But if you don't use this kind of rule that's talked about in 104, you have no choice. Winning initiative doesn't do you, The only thing it does for you is avoids right. the goblin attacking you first and then the opportunity. Attack. And the good news is, the reason why it's better than fleeing, of course, is because if I do lose initiative... Yeah. Then it's not it's not the opportunity attack. You get attack first, then the opportunity attack. You get twice attacked. Yeah. If I lose, if you lose initiative, the yes. goblins hit you. I'm falling back. And then you, well, falling back, you just move back six. Right. But let's say I lose initiative, so I declare I'm falling back. Yeah. We roll. You right. win initiative. Then I what attack, happens? and then and then you fall back six. Oh, and does anything happen? Well, so? you would be pairing. So if you had a strength bonus, you that would be used against it. So I guess that's my right. So that's that's oh, that's right. So pairing really is particularly helpful if you have a strength bonus. So if I had a strength bonus, because which makes sense that fighters would be good at pairing, and everyone else would be crappy at it. I'm never going to remember any of this. I'm no. going to re-listen to this a billion times. Well, that's okay. But this is some this what and this is a good segue into strategies for combat. Um, so you, uh, before we continue, so there are rules on page sixty-seven for evasion pursuing. I never use them, but they're interesting. <laughs> yes. These, uh, these are basically, I want to flee from the baddie, and the baddie is going to hunt you down and kill you. Right. Well, but there are some good things, and two of the things that they talk about, the things you do need to consider that I think I don't do a good job with and I'd like to, is the thing you talked about, food or money. If the players say, I'm running, and they throw bags of money, there is a chance, or food, mm-hmm. there is a chance that some monsters will, not, will stop and take the money. Um, you know, again, think, have the have the monsters be smart. They're, most goblins are wimpy. They're they're going to take coin above trying to fight creatures unless they think they absolutely have a chance to, to win. Well, that's why they were trying to kill you anyway, probably to get your coin. That's right. This so, is perfect. So if you throw and you don't have to throw ten thousand gold pieces, and that's where the DM needs to be. <laughs> start slowly. Right. That's, See how it goes. That's where the DM needs to be reasonable and not know that you know metagaming works too. You know, if I know you're a fifth level magic user and the, there's three goblins that are attacking you, you start running. 
they don't know you have a staff of, of, of power where they wouldn't have that fifth level, but they don't know you have a wand of lightning. If you threw 50 gold pieces, that's going to be awesome. They don't need to know they have, but I know you have a 5,000 gold piece gem on you. They're going to strip you and take all the money. No, if you, if you, or you take a, you know, a hundred copper pieces and throw in some coin, this it breaks open the ground. They're going to stop and get that first and let you go because they assume you're not coming back. And food's I, the same thing. I learned a recent adventure where you guys were faced by what, it was a bunch of evil dwarves or something, and it wasn't looking good. You guys got out of it. The magic is a sleep spell, but basically they, they basically wanted all of your stuff. And I think John's or something. Oh, so this is basically, it's a, it's a hold up. Right, exactly. Exactly, it's a, it's a hold up. What does that mean? Is that are we? Have, no, that's that someone talking? was calling me. But yeah, we're getting we're getting. We're is getting, that our first calling? That's right. That was our first. Like, why are you guys still talking about this? This that's, is yeah. You need to move it along. That's right. And you've gotten a lot of the rules wrong. That's right. <laughs> okay. You're telling everything terrible. So, um, going to the next part, which is so this lends into the strategy of first edition, um, and and there's it's really not talked about in, in the rules itself. So I want to you know the couple of things we talk about. Some of the tropes that all these games have come from this idea that fighters are in the front. The strategy should be fighters are in the front and they should always try to attack either the strongest things to break through the enemy's lines, which would be the strongest fighters, and get to the squishy characters, which are the magic users and clerics kind of rule. And then thieves, their job, because they're not great fighters, is to sneak around and attack the... Uh, the wimpy characters, primarily the magic users, uh, because magic users, because they have powerful spells, just you know, one whole person from a cleric can take out three of your fighters, and they've had seventy hit points, and all of a sudden they got none mm-hmm. because they're getting rocked. Um, so this is where I think players really need to understand the flanking rules, um, which characters, which creatures are a threat onto this. You know, one of the things that the party didn't do. They had three stone giants. So what happened was they were going down this corridor and they, they had piled up the dead giants and ogres from the previous battles and the party, in order to get out, had to climb over this. And on, in the room, there was ogres and in the back, there were stone giants. And stone giants throw boulders for 3 to 30 hit points of damage. More than they, they if they attack, it's only 3 to 18 if, with melee hands. Mm-hmm. But if they throw, and they can throw up to 200 feet. So basically there are this artillery and the players basically got stuck right as they climbed over the dead bodies being attacked by wolves and stuff. And these giants just had free reign. And one of the characters unfortunately fell because he got hit seven times by, mm-hmm. uh, by um, stones. One of, and, and I was playing uh, an NPC of the characters even though I was running because one of the players didn't come. Well, as soon as he had a chance, he ran next to the the three giants so that they could we wouldn't continue to throw rocks but instead mm-hmm. um, attack him so that's some of the strategy that people need to think about you know uh, not just sitting face to face if you've got magic users or car- casters you've got to take them out uh, again understanding fighting withdrawal if if the battle's not going well don't flee start doing that withdrawal so that you know, you can get into a better position. Don't uh, be in an open area because if the other group has a lot of characters, a lot of uh, monsters, you don't want them, you want characters by themselves because then they could be surrounded. And then the most horrible thing could happen, which is, of course, weaponless combat, which is one of the optional rules that we're going to talk about. So that's some of the strategy that players need to think about. You know, almost like the Battle of Thermopylae where, you know, you can fight thousands of creatures as long as you're only fighting 
30 at a time. And I understand thieves on backstab, you can't backstab as a thief if the potential victim is aware right. you're there. Is that correct? That's right. Okay, so you could try to do what? Like a roll and key? You try to do like a hide in shadows and a moose silent. So maybe you could real quickly, I know we've talked about a lot of other things too, because I know that the thieves in combat, that's kind of their thing. I was like, I want to backstab. Right. How does that go down? How are they able to do that? What rules do they need to make? So, the, you know, if, if your rules is written, they have to, the, the, the other, uh, the, the victim has to be unaware and you know, surprised of the attack. Um, so th there's no real mechanic about it. If you play it as written, it's almost impossible for a character to get a backstab. So in order to make this worthwhile, what we typically say is um, if they sneak around the back and basically they have to do a... Because again, hide and shadows only works if you're stationary. If you're moving, you, mm -hmm. you hide and shadow. So you'd have to say you're coming around the back and you'd get into a rear position and then we typically i have them make a move silently roll which kind of rolls into the fact that they're creeping up silently behind them and they're going to strike their back attack um, but if they if they've been at any time observed um, by either the creature or someone who's smart enough to go hey there's a thief behind you um, because you know again what's good for the monsters is good for the players you know, because if you're going to allow the thief in the party to go around and sneak, and, and even though all the other monsters saw that you're doing this and they're totally oblivious and they allow the person to get stabbed, well, then that's going to happen to your poor magic user. Well, I saw the thief. Yeah, but the magic user didn't see it. So you have to play it both both ways. But it says just a successful back surprise back attack. It has to be surprise. So the idea is it has to be from the rear. So you get your plus four. To hit just like a rear attack. Would you would you get would you get the plus four anyway? So because a rear yes. attack gets you plus four. So even if you fail, let's say I fail my move silently roll, right. you still get your. Rear attack. I'm always gonna. So that that's not a backstab addition. That's right. just a rear attack. Right. Correct. Okay. The, the advantage of backstab is you get the rear attack, but then you get double damage. So the double or, damage or, or multiple damage depending on the level you're at. Right. Lower level. Right. Would be double. Right. So okay. So that's the advantage of of the backstab right. is the double damage. That's right. Okay. Uh, okay, so I think you know there's a lot more to this, but we're 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 coming up on on things. So let me talk about a couple of things that that we didn't get over. So I uh, talked a little about about surprise that you know some of these things you you're gonna have to balance how much rules is written, how comfortable your party is, and how quickly you want to get things done. I think if you practice surprise and some of the weapons, uh, these other things, you can um, make it work. But if you only use it occasionally, it it can grind the game down. So. Uh, surprise is one of those areas that some DMs like myself simplify it, but you certainly could play it as written as long as you actually read what it says. Another area is simultaneous initiative. Um, I, in my game, just to make it easier, if both the party and the players and the monsters roll simultaneously, I just have them re-roll until one wins because I don't want oh, to deal okay. with it. Okay. But rules is written. It talks about simultaneous initiative, and there are certain rules that happen. Number one... Uh, this idea of weapon speed comes into a thing. So what is weapon speed, Dan? So weapon, if you look in the player's handbook uh, and the list of weapons, each weapon will be given a speed number. And if I recall correct, the lower is better, isn't it? Yes, lower speed. is better. On this one. That's correct. And so what happens then is if you have simultaneous initiative, yep. then if you have a weapon-on-weapon weapon attack... To, to both parties right. have weapons, then the party, if I recall correctly, the party with the lower weapon speed factor... That goes first. Goes first on page 38. And if I recall correctly, too, is it's possible to get multiple attacks, isn't right. it? Right. So if it's a simultaneous attack, 
and I'm using a dagger versus a longsword, in this case I think a dagger is a two weapon speed and a longsword's five, you could rule that the dagger goes twice before, would go twice in that simultaneous attack versus the longsword. Now again, this only is a factor in simultaneous. It's not, Correct. It's not used in that. So it's, that's why people don't use it. It seems odd. It's like, why don't you use weapon speed all the time? Well, because that's what that's rules is written. And it's, and it's only when it's weapon on weapon. weapon. That's right. Though if I co- recall correctly, a fist is, or open hand is a weapon. That's right. Now you may say, who cares? But it actually came up in one of our games, right? That it is um, yep. a fist or open hand. Page 66. Does that mean that, is that a creature? So if, if it's a creature, that's probably when it came up. If you've got a creature that's using claws, mm-hmm. would you consider that a fist or open hand for weapon speed factor? No. You would not? No. Okay. I would say it doesn't count at that point. That is just a normal thing. Okay. And the other time, too, and i, I got to tell you... Unless they're, unless they're a fight, you know, unless they're a humanoid type thing. Like a goblin, that would be a fist, but not a, you know, a, a troll or something like okay. that. Okay. Because then you just... Because then you get multiple attacks and it gets really crazy. And, mul- and, and let's not forget about multiple attacks. That if you have multiple attacks, you're going to go first in your yes. first attack. And that one, we did skip over that during melee attacks. So multiple attacks makes things even more challenging. So if a creature has two attacks, they're supposed to go in the beginning of the round and the end of the round, regardless of initiative, because the fact is they're faster and more attacks. Um, so yeah, weapon speed, it gets factored into simultaneous initiative. There's also, uh, depending on if... If uh, weapon speed versus a character who's casting a spell is another situation. So if I'm casting Magic Missile, which is one segment, and you have a Longsword, which is five segments, or five, weapon speed of five, and you uh, I want initiative, my Magic Missile would go off. But if I was casting Hold Person or something that takes longer, if you had a dagger, you still may get a chance to hit me beforehand. And this is the other one, and I had not been aware of this, where this is the other situation which weapon speed factor is determinant, right? If you look at the bottom of page 66, I didn't even, didn't even know about this. Whereas it's a, it's a weapon against somebody doing something else. Yes, that's and, right. That's, the main one is magic user, but yes, absolutely. Right, anything. And, and this apparently is not based upon when it's simultaneous, right? I don't think so. It doesn't right. say... So it's any time, and it's it's... You got to crunch the numbers here, right? You compare the speed factor of the weapon with the number of segments, which the spell. But you could play spell with any other action. Anything that has a ca- anything that has a time to launch, so turning, uh, using a, a potion or anything like that. Yep. And you subtract the losing die roll on the initiative die roll. I'm not going to go through this, right? From the well, right. Uh, from so it's on page sixty-seven. The weapon factor and treating negative results are positive. There's a long. I don't think a lot of people know about that. But right. So, yeah. So, we're that's at, the other time. We're getting to super crunchy stuff. Right. Most people ignore that. But by the book, you don't want to know about that. And then there's armor type. So, the idea of back to this human on human or, or um, not only do you have an armor class, which is your general uh, way of uh, protection, but then you have an armor type. So, for instance, if I'm wearing chainmail and shield, that's armor class four. But let's say I have a great dex. So, my armor class could be actually better than that. It could be lower, maybe AC2. But from the perspective of an armor type, I have chain and shield, which would be AC4. Uh, In the player's handbook, there is a list of weapons and their uh, advantage or disadvantage to certain armor class types. So some things against armor class uh, 4 type creatures are better. So a fist and open hand against a chainmail and shield is minus 3 to hit, which makes perfect sense. You punching someone in armor, it's going to be less likely to hit. 
Uh, but, uh, and so a bow stick, which sounds like a stick, is minus five. But a bec de corbin is plus two to hit. So it feels it feels right. Like certain weapons should be better against certain things. Right. But n- now you're adding another thing to it. So you could just see the scenario of simultaneous initiative against fighter versus fighter. One has a bec de corbin wearing banded mail. Another person has padded armor with a longsword. Go and figure all that out. And, yeah. and and this is only one part of the game. And most people just go, ugh, I'm not going to deal with any of that. I remember the very first game we ran with with the new group that we started about two years ago. I remember we, we were using this. And I remember one of the players rolled his eyes like, oh, you're using the AC adjustment. I think, though, I'd like to argue for it. I, I argue for it. It's no, great. You did. It is. Because it does make it more realistic. Uh, Even and though it's a fantasy game. Attention. A realistic a for a fantasy game. game. Well, you know, I, I, I believe that, you know, Bob Costas, he said this show later with Bob Costas. Mm-hmm. It was a wonderful show. I remember he talked about how with movies, you can accept one thing. Let's say you have a movie time travel. You can accept that. But the more unrealistic things you add, then you're like, oh, I'm, I'm out. That's right. So in other words, you, you know, yes, it's an unrealistic. Yeah. Gnomes, halflings, I can buy magic. I can buy into it. But then, you know, at a certain point, you've got to make it like the real world or you're losing me. So I'll give you certain things. Um, And I like this. I like these tables. I think what you have to remember is, and the DMG somewhere I'm trying to look for talks about this, is this is only against armor. Or I think, as you brought up in another game, I think that's what I was looking for, the DMG. Maybe if a monster has a hide or something that is armor-like. Yes. But generally, this is not just any AC. Right. And this is, it does include shield. It doesn't say it, but it has to include yeah. shield because it has a, uh, a nine. Right. And I don't think there is an armor. No, nope. that's your armor type would be that. That's correct. And so, it's, so it's your armor type plus shield. That's right. And I think the way to make this easier is you've got to, you've got to give this to the players to figure out. Right. So, so I'm a, I'm a, I don't have a problem with telling players what the AC as the opponent is because at this point in time, if you're playing a 1E game, you're probably not playing with the person who doesn't know the monster manual from A to Z. Yeah. Your players know the mod. They know roughly what the armor class is. They have a sense of it. You're not giving anything away. I think you tell the players, hey, this is an AC7, so you're responsible for looking up. Right. When, when things slow down is when the DM, who's right. trying to do nine things, right. is asked to do more things. Yep. Um, and, and I think that's a good point. And and I think that's where you you have to have players who want to, you know, Gary Gygax talks about in the players who want to improve their game. And I think, you know, depending on the group you have and the dynamic, um, you may not introduce, I guess my thing would be don't introduce all this at once. You don't have to do all this. You can just do the basic role initiative and fight and go back and forth and you'd be good to go. But as your game gets better, you can add more features if your players are willing to support it. Because if they're not, and they're every time they're rolling and they're going, did I hit? And I said, well, you hit the last time with that. And we're slowing things down. That's where that's when it's a challenge. So, um, And then we, you know, I, I'm just going to say weaponless combat is broken. There's rules about it in... In the in the Dungeon Master's Guide, all kidding aside, it starts on seventy two and seventy three. The Unearthed Arcana had made a, an update of it, which we won't talk about. But if you want to talk about slow, there's basically three kinds. You can pummel someone, 
you can grapple them, which is hold them, or you can overbear them. Basically, the idea of like the halflings stands underneath uh, the giant pushes him over. Uh, yeah. We never use it. And I think slow is absolutely right. So my guess is it's not rocket science. Yeah. If I sat down for an afternoon, I would understand it, yeah. I hope. But it's cumbersome and it's long. And it's, you know, it's a buzz killer. You have combat. It's all exciting. The princess says, I try to grapple. Right. Time out. All right. Hold on. What's your, you're talking to people are pulling out their cell phones. Right. They're checking them. You're doing the percentages. <laughs> and then at the end of it, you roll like a 99, which would have been, I don't know if that's good. Honestly, right. I have no idea if that's good or bad. Right. I have no idea because I don't know these rules very well. But like, it's clear it's something. You didn't need to crunch all those numbers and everyone groans. Right. And um, yeah, so. And so for me, if they are going to do it, you, but that seems like it should be part of the game. It should be a great part of the game. And especially if you're a dungeon master and you want to challenge your you want to challenge your players with goblins after they become fifth or sixth level. If they can't fight with those creatures, they they can't fight with the players. They'll mow them down. But if six goblins jump on a fighter and try to grapple them, well, that seems that would be great because now they're prone and now they get advantages. So you've got to figure out a way. So my version of this is you want to learn the rules. There's definitely a way to do it, and there's you just have to commit to it. I just do as simple as, well, you want to grapple, roll a d20. If he rolls high, then we'll figure out what happens. And then I'm, I'll probably make a guess of, what did you try to do? I try to grab his arm. Okay, you rolled an 18. The guy's wearing leather. Yeah, you grab his arm. And I think most players are relieved when the DM says that. If, if the players know the grappling rules, yeah. uh, you know, unless you're a real stickler, they're happy that because it's going to keep things moving. And let me mention something real quick, too. Uh, this thing about, uh, number one, only monsters, I'm kind of thinking back things we talked about, only monsters do morale check. Party never does. That's up to the party to decide if they're going to flee or surrender. The great thing about surrendering monsters, you guys are very, your party's been very effective in using this, is if they're surrendering, you can get pump them for information. Yep. Don't just kill everything and then say, which way do we go? Say, capture them, say, which way should we go? Look, you don't know if they're telling the truth or not, right? But right. try to get some information out of them. You can use them. Hey, you, you guys are great at this. You open that chest. Yeah. Let's have the, use them as the red shirts, as the fodder, mm -hmm. and so that can be very effective. Should we talk briefly and quickly about the death rules? Because we talked about melee, and oh, yeah. a lot, right? So Okay, we did not talk. We, we talked a little bit about it in one of the camp modules. Yes, the but when am I dead? So I'm in melee. When am I dead? When is the monster dead? There are, there's really basic, I think, kind of two different ways, at least by the book, that you could do that. I know a lot of people house rule stuff. So um, typically, if you're at zero hit points... Either monster or player character, your your the player or monster is dead. For and 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 there is an optional rule that Gary says uh, in the Dungeon Master's Guide that up to negative if a blow take if a blow takes a character down to up to negative three, they still survive but they're not they're not dead. Anything beyond that uh, kills them automatically. If they get to zero or below and they're not stabilized, open quotes. They lose a hit point per round, assuming they're not attacked anymore. And once they reach negative 10, they are then dead at that point. Monsters typically, once they get to zero, they are dead at that point. And so my understanding is the way many people interpret the zero to negative if they're going to use it. And I understand that the optional rule was added by Gary Gygax, I believe, because of the concern about the high mortality rate for first level characters. And so... If you go to negative three, it gives you a chance to survive, uh, a greater chance to survive. And my understanding is the way most people interpret it, if you do the negative three is still unconscious, is that a single blow, so if I'm at one hit point, 
and I'm hit by the goblin, and I suffer then five points of damage. Mm-hmm. And I'm right, so now I'm at what, negative four? That would be, I'm dead. Right. But if it just brings me anywhere between zero and negative three, I'm unconscious. If you bind me before I get to negative 10, I'm stabilized. That's right. And I live. So that's okay. it. Okay. Yep. And, um, and, if, and there's another fun rule that if you get to negative six or below without dying, it resuscitating, some horrible disfigurement should happen to you. It talks about right. in there too. So unfortunately, one of the characters yesterday um, got pummeled by a number of stones and after, you know, I think he had 22 hit points and received 27 hit points of damage. And that brought him to negative five. And that was it. And, and unfortunately, if you are knocked unconscious and you are brought back, we've talked about this before, you have to spend, what is it, a week? You a can't week. do anything, really, no real action of any kind. And then you got to rest a week. So you're kind of out of it for that adventure, unfortunately. You're not, you don't just pop up. And start adventuring. Now, one thing you could do later, uh, you could have your spellcasters research a spell when they get high enough level to maybe learn a, a create a spell that if you if you cure cure uh, near death's wounds or something where it brings them back and they don't have to wait a week because the only way to do that is through heal, which is a very powerful high powerful spell. And in later editions, they came up with this death's door, which is a third level spell, which it brings you back to zero. And you're able to function at that point normally. But as rules is written, first edition, if you get unconscious zero or below, and you're and you're brought and you're brought conscious, you you're in a coma for one to six turns, and then you are unable to uh, uh, do anything significant for one week. No, I think as, as I described in the last game, you're, you're basically you're the guy walking with the IV. That's right. Yeah, walking along. That's what you can do. So the the last thing, just real quick, is is there's someone and I didn't get the person's name, but I'll I'll put it in the description. There's this thing, Attic, which is what the AD and D something combat. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's and there's a PDF out there, and this this person did a great job sourcing going through all the books. DM Prada, I think. DM Prada. That's right. DM Prada, and and I'll put the link in there as well. Um, in, into the podcast for the for the and it's a it's about a fifteen page and it's done a great job of trying if you want to try to run combat rules as written um, he's probably ninety five percent of where you want to be you may not want to be there because it's still very complicated you, you, you may be one hundred and twenty percent of where you want to be. <laughs> <That's> right <laughs> it's it's a great you know, he's did a great job great examples but Absolutely. it's I don't know if it makes it easier it makes it clearer and it makes you. It, it combines a bunch of rules and texts and goes from surprise uh, through the through combat and provides matrices between if someone's sp- casting a spell versus charging. And, you know, I, I use that um, to kind of supplement if I've got a good group of players and if we want to make it take it to the next level, that's that's definitely a document you should look at. Okay. And he's, and he's got and he's got examples, which is great. Right. He writes out all these examples, illustrations. So yeah, I I completely concur yes. with your recommendation. That's not, yeah, this is this is not even the suggestion. So now uh, now we've talked about comments. Um, and then put in the comments or uh, either in, on YouTube or in um, Send us a Twitter at Grog Talk if you have things we missed or we said wrong. We don't want to give out false information. So now it's our, our suggestion segment. Suggestions. And so um, I guess I'll go first. My, I'm going to cast suggestion on the uh, our audience by telling them to get online 
Dragon 74. So here's my original copy of Dragon 74 that I'm showing to the fans here. Very nice. It's, it's, it's kind of jacked up, but why? So from the back in the day. So no, no, you didn't go on eBay and no, buy this, this recently. Is, this, this is the this, one this you... This is the one I had from 1983, June of 83. So you never had one of those moments like, what am I doing playing this game? I'm washing myself of it. I, I, I need to be an adult... I mean, we're going to get a lot of nasty comments, aren't we? No. I am. Oh, yeah. I'm throwing all this stuff out or abandoning it. I'm, I'm moving on. You're, for, fortunately, you didn't. You never said that. No, I didn't. I just gave it up. I just felt, I just stopped doing it. But you I, kept all your stuff. I kept, I kept some of it. What happened was uh, we played with a group and all our stuff kind of got conjoined together sure. at one point. of course. And I ended up, I don't really remember how, probably the last time we played... We kind of just took stuff and threw it in each in each representative cars, and what I had in my car is what I ended up with twenty five years That's later. That's great. So, so for instance, my player's handbook is my original player's handbook because it still has for those online it still has my name right in the you know the old things yeah. you pushed it uh, you know the old basically label. Yeah, it's a big label already. Yeah, you chunk chunk chunk. the little dial. So mine's still in there, um, but my dungeon master's guide is not my original one. My you don't- so I have some of it, but this 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 Dragon magazine. I, I remember having we each of us bought a copy because what I'm really suggesting reason is because in in Dragon seventy four they had the combat wheel, and I'm showing it to our friends on live. This is the combat wheel from Dragon seventy four. This is the official Dragon magazine, and so what it does is it allows you instead of looking up the charts, it has an inner wheel and outer wheel. The inner wheel you select the armor class of the person that or the target. And then the upper wheel, uh, and on the on the lower wheel, it has bands for each type of cre- uh, character that you're fighting: magic user, thief, cleric. So if uh, so, Dan's character is fighting a goblin, AC six. You shift it. He is a fighter, first level. He needs a fourteen. Very nice. So first level cleric needs a fourteen. And if you want to use weapon adjustments for armor class six, you can just look club minus one. So it has it right there. Very nice. So this is the combat computer. So what I've uh, my other suggestion is if you go to a hobby store because we used to have just use a, um, like a paper clip to hold this together and it would get all jacked up. And I've thought about laminating it, which I would definitely recommend as well. But if you go get one of these um, grommets from a like a Joann's or Michael's craft store, and you put it in the middle, it then spins. If you do it right, it spins without uh, damaging. We can do a separate segment, like D&D and crafting. Yes. Well, you, I know I made my own Dungeon Master screen, so and I'm not very crafty, but... Uh, no, all evidence to the contrary. This is impressive. It, it, it came out pretty good. So there is a... P, you don't need to get the Dragon Magnet 74. There are PDFs of it. It's just more work because then you have to print it out and cut it and do these other things. Um, but it is very helpful uh, to... At least make some of the crunchiness go away, particularly if you're going to try to use armor uh, type, and you're not fumbling in, in charts. You can quickly go, all right, minus, and it's good when you when the character says, okay, I'm AC zero, but I'm next to the paladin, so I get minus two, and you just move it down to two, uh, and that kind of thing. So that's my suggestion. Dragon seventy four, you get the wheel. Dan, what is your suggestion? And before we go on, I because you, hopefully I think you, you fail your save. You had a great idea. You know, you talked about. So many of the books now that we're buying, people like me, that we need to rebuy the books, they were other people's books, obviously, because they got them off of eBay. It would be great a project to reunite players with, with their, their books. books. That's right. Like, we're Ed Dormady. Yeah. Look, guess what he used, too? Look at that. 
He did the same thing. He did it. He wasn't happy with which one came first. Was he not happy? This one must have come first. Yeah. And then he's concerned that the white would come out. He wrote his name. So I like, all use the sticker labels. Yeah. So if Ed Dormady could call in, right? If he would buy a DMG for me that is of equal quality, I, roughly, I, I will trade him. I will reunite Ed Dormady with if he's still alive. Yes. Now uh, that's depressing. But yeah. reunite him and my player's handbook. If MEC is out there, yeah. You know, I don't know how you're going to, you know. I'll Who is trade. that person? But we'll maybe that could be a feature on Twitter that people could uh, take a picture of their inside of their book and post it up there. And then someone could try to figure out who these people we are. We should have like a lost pet site. Right. We should have like a reunite. We should do a site for reuniting. Old books. Old books with their players, like lost pets. I uh, think at some point, you know, we would have to hope that some people are not with us anymore because then... Uh, there wouldn't be enough books for people because obviously if everyone got their books back, there'd be people who wanted books. But that, we'll worry about that later. No, I think I think there's been an attrition, right? <laughs> um, just like in true one fashion, That's I right. think. Yeah, yeah, there's been player death. So my my see, I'm casting suggestion and uh, suggesting that you read something by uh, Matt Finch called A Quick Primer for Old School Gaming. Oh, wonderful! Right, which you know I I posted on our uh, our meetup site a link to it. I think it's, all, it's very short, 12 pages. I think that's short. It is short. And it describes what old school gaming is like, the difference between old school gaming and new school gaming. So I think this is very useful for somebody who only knows new school gaming, maybe a younger person who wants to play 1E, so they're not startled by what's going on. But I also think it's really useful for people who have been playing a long time uh, and are very familiar with 1E to read it as a refresher of what it really is supposed to be like. I don't know if you remember this book, Strunk and White, this little book about writing, mm. little thin book. And, you know, it's good to read it once a year because it to remind you what good writing is. Once a year? Once a year, I think is what they say. Wow. Okay. Yeah, is that a lot or a little? I it's would think thin. once a decade would be impressive. It's very thin. Well, I don't so, think I have. I think you should read this. You know, you know, periodically, just to remind you what old school gaming is like. He talks about these different Zen moments that it's rulings, not rules, which I know is interesting because we talk a lot about by the book. Yeah. But old school gaming, a lot of times, is there's no rules on anything. Hey, what's my percentage chance to do this? Ah, eh, sixty percent. That's very old school. Uh, other things that he reminds us, there's not many. I think there's only five Zen moments. It's player skill, not abilities. So it's we've talked about. Hey, I want to find the secret passage. What's my, you know, not a secret pass or whatever. I want to find something. Well, what's my percentage chance? Can I roll an ability? No, no. You tell me what you're doing. Right. Where are you looking? Uh, that's different than new school. Yeah, manipulating the objects in the room versus just saying, what's my stealth or my perception check? Exactly. Heroic, not superhero. So you're going to be low level. You're not going to be a superhero. You're going to be a low level guy. Things You're going to do heroic things. You're not going to be a superhero. Forget game balance. We right. talked about that, right? Yeah. You've got to, you, so it's very important. Probably the most important thing we talked about today is the difference between a fighting withdrawal or whatever it is that, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the pairing and all that versus a flea because you're going to be, do, you should be doing a lot of that. Right. Because don't expect to, it's, it's fair game to have a vampire when you're first level. It's not fair game to expect you to be cornered by the vampire and fight the vampire. Right. But it's fair game to have a vampire because you can you can run. Um, and so, Except when you're trapped in the chapel, you can't get out of, and the only way to get out is through the cha- through the way the vampires. But that's another story. That's a different issue. Yeah. Um, actually, it looks like there's four Zen modes. But so I think this is ve- I think it's a very good write up. I think it's good just to read it, 
absorb it and remind you of the way old school gaming was supposed to be. Well, so. wonderful. I hope they fail their suggestion too. So, um, you know, we're, we're at the point where either if there's anyone still listening there, they're like, please end this thing. But um, I've, had, I've learned a lot about combat. Please, if you if we miss something about combat area, uh, info at GrogCon or at Grog Talk on Twitter. Um, we're on YouTube. We are on Google Play, iTunes. Please like and like and subscribe either on YouTube or iTunes. Please put a comment on there. You know, we'd like to know what we're what we're doing. We know we have people listening. Um, we I, I'm also going to ask for requests for pictures. I know this is shocking, but this is not a poster here. So if you want your artwork, maybe of Pixie and, and Glades fighting the goblins, Pix, or be, Pixie being eaten. I knew that was coming. Pixie being eaten by the goblin. What? what this, Put a picture of what has this, happened to Pixie. I, I see a lot of pictures of, uh, of Scythe or whatever it is. Scythe, that's right. Them dodging the Scythe, hitting the Scythe. <laughs> Maybe something, a Scythe right here picture pointing at them that they should have paid attention to. Any of those would be great. Um, you know, so because we, we want, and, and also let us know what future things you want us to talk about. Uh, we're thinking about having some guests. We need to kind of work out some of that as well, get them either on the show or record them. So we've got a lot of things coming up, and hopefully uh, not next week, but the week after, we'll have an update on GrogCon at Crucible. We'll have some more information about that. So until then, I'm Jan, James. I'm Dan. Thank you for listening to Grog Talk, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Bushy Puppy production. All rights reserved.